Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. I'm uh, in the auxiliary bat cave uh, at my radio station, uh, giving you the introduction to uh, two great panels that we had at Cincy Comic Con. I think you're going to love them. Uh, first of all, we're going to have the Fear Agent panel. Fear Agent is celebrating its 10th anniversary. It's one of those uh, creator-owned books that uh, refused to die because the creators loved it. And you're going to hear that as they tell their story. Rick Remender, Tony Moore, Mike Hawthorne. Uh, Rick and Tony were the co-creators, but Mike was there from the start and uh, actually uh, provided a lot of the uh, art for the closing arc of Fear Agent. It was 32 issues. It wrapped up in, uh, I believe, 2010. Uh, it switched from uh, originally it was at Image and then it went to Dark Horse. And uh, they've got a great story. And it's pretty amazing when you step back and realize all of uh, the talented people that uh, helped Rick and Tony on Fear Agent. A lot of uh, your favorite uh, household uh, comic book artists and writers were uh, doing uh, fill-in stories and backup stories on Fear Agent. And uh, it also, of course, led to a lot of collaborations in uh, Rick's uh, career, and Tony's career for that matter, uh, projects that they did for Marvel, other uh, creators like Jerome Pena who came on very early and uh, made a big splash at Marvel with Rick. Uh, we get all of that, including their uh, present and future plans. And I think it's a, a great look at uh, a good success story from uh, a period when both of these guys were struggling. They came up with a concept and a few others. Of course, Tony, uh, Walking Dead uh, among them that uh, he did with uh, Robert Kirkman. Uh, but uh, it's it's neat to see the, you know, the struggle uh, and Fear Agent kind of, uh, I, I think, characterizes uh, that uh, tough road to success. So that's in our first part of Word Balloon. Then a really instructive panel on creator-owned comics with um, four great panelists. Uh, first, the power couple, as I refer to them, Evan Dorkin of Milk and Cheese and his wife, Sarah Dyer, who uh, was a great zine creator. Uh, she created Action Girl. The two of them have done a lot of animation work over the years. They created Live Wire for uh, the Superman Adventure series, among other things. They've written for Space Ghost, Coast to Coast, and a lot of other animated shows. But uh, they talk about uh, their successes and failures and the realistic view of where the comic market is. So do the other two panelists. We've got Jeremy Bastian, who made Curse Pirate Girl and continues to do that for Arkea. Uh, he talks about his very unique uh, road to uh, his current status in the comic book world. And then we've got Ryan Brown. Ryan is one of my favorite people. God Hates Astronauts is his amazing book. He's wrapping up his image version of the book, but he's going back to self-publishing. And that's a really interesting point of view because everyone seems to think that Image is this guaranteed success story. It isn't. And uh, Ryan is that working class guy that had an Image book that, uh, frankly, the numbers work better for Ryan to publish on his own versus having the structure of Image around him. He tells a very honest story. It's not a, a bitter story at all, but really goes into great detail in terms of where any creator might be if you're just starting off with a webcomic or on Tumblr and you think you've got enough of an audience to uh, possibly uh, entertain a Kickstarter campaign. Ryan talks about his own Kickstarter campaigns for God Hates Astronaut and his current one for his book Blast Furnace. And uh, it's, it's great information. I'm so happy to bring this to you on today's Word Balloon. It's all brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, as always, for your support. If you'd like to help out and subscribe to Word Balloon, you don't have to. And if you don't have the money, Word Balloon is free. It will always be free. 
But if you want to help the cause out, uh, go to my website, wordballoon.com. You can uh, check there. There's a couple videos there that kind of explain ways that you can contribute. But if you can spare a dollar a month through my Patreon account, that's terrific. Uh, go to uh, patreon.com slash wordballoon or wordballoon.com. Both of those will direct you to my Patreon page. And if you can spend a dollar or two a month, that's terrific. I really appreciate the support. It makes it easier for me to travel to conventions and make these connections and bring you some of the great coverage uh, of the comic book world through interviews and panels that I try to do each week right here on Word Balloon. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Great deals are happening now at InStock Trades. You can get up to 42% off, sometimes more, of the standard retail price of your favorite trade paperbacks, hardcovers, absolute editions, omnibuses, essentials. You name it, they are waiting for you at InStockTrades.com. Things like the Incredible Hulk Epic Collection trade paperback, uh, Ghosts of the Past. 50% 50% off. It's just $17.49. You can get the Marvel Masterworks Daredevil Hardcover Volume 9. Uh, also 50% off. $37.50. Um, you can get the Astro Boy Omnibus Trade Paperback uh, Volume 1 is 42% off. Just $11.59. From Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, it's The Fade Out Volume 2. 45% off. $7.14. One of my favorite mangas, Master Keaton, graphic novel 4. 30% off. $13.99. From IDW, you can get the uh, Judge Dread Day of Chaos, 4th Faction. The trade paperback is 25% off. It's just $18.74. That's the tip of the iceberg. You'll find great deals at InStockTrades.com. And don't forget, if your orders are $50 or more, you receive free shipping. Check out all the savings coming to you from InStockTrades.com. All right, without further ado, I want to take you to Sunday morning at Cincy Comic Con. It was a great show as always. And I want to thank uh, the organizers, uh, Tony Moore, uh, Kara Fairchild, uh, Kendall, Bill, All of the staff, uh, they are great people, and it was, again, a wonderful show. It's my kind of show because we don't have woo panels. We have panels where you'll hear information that I think is helpful, inspirational, and also just fun if you're fans of these creators. And I'm a big fan of uh, the people that are on this panel that I'm about to present now. It's the Fear Agent panel. Rick Remender, who always makes me laugh. You're going to hear me cackling like a four-year-old every time Ricky cracks a joke. And uh, that goes for Tony Moore, who's one of the sweetest guys in the world and an equally sweet guy. And it's been a long time since he's been on a word balloon. Really happy to have Mike Hawthorne back. Mike was on, really, I think, in my first year, uh, talking about his Vertigo series, The Unmen. And uh, we mentioned that. But, uh, God, they just reminded me of some of those great projects that they were doing in the early 2000s. And... uh, Like I said, it kind of illustrates the struggle to success, but it's uh, great to get this point of view from really smart guys who understand the business and uh, have not let that uh, upset them. They they, they stuck with it, and eventually uh, they found their audience that they were looking for, and things continue to pay off in their current work. Um, Tony and uh, Mike are working on the Deadpool series right now for Marvel. Rick is leaving Marvel and has a ton of books that are happening in Image right now. We go through them, including Tokyo Ghost, which is about to start with Sean Murphy. Really interesting stuff. Rick always has cool ideas. So uh, it's a pleasure to talk to these guys now on Word Balloon. Good morning, everyone. Thank you uh, for joining us on uh, the last day of Cincy Comic Con. My name is John Suntress. I host a podcast called Word Balloon. It's at warbaloon.com and on iTunes, everywhere you can get podcasts. But enough about me. Let's talk about the fact that uh, just under 10 years ago, it was October of 2005, 
A great uh, independent comic started through Dark Horse, and uh, 32 issues later, we were left with an excellent sci-fi epic that wrapped up really nicely. And of course, I'm talking about the wonderful space opera, fun, classic, Fear Agent. And uh, very happy to have... uh, Exactly. Man, uh, you know, if only there was a John Williams score right now, and I don't want to hear Hootie and the Blowfish again. So so don't, just hold off, Mike. But no, really happy to have... uh, uh, some of the guys that were uh, responsible for it, you know, and on this side, the the, the two co-creators. First, I want to introduce uh, an excellent artist that contributed a lot to the series. Um, wonderful artist, Mike Hawthorne, everybody. Hello, hello. There we go. <laughs> the art genius behind uh, Fear Agent, uh, Tony Moore, our own host of Cincy Comic Con as well. Boo. Oh, <laughs> And the writer, creator of Fear Agent, an excellent artist in his own right as well, Rick Remender, everybody. Yay! What a terrific person he is! Great guy! <laughs> so handsome. <laughs> <laughs> and just to clarify, it started with Image, and we went to Dark Horse around issue 12. Oh, so was the... I couldn't remember which Yeah, you didn't read it like anybody else, I did so read who it. gives a fuck? No, quite the contrary. No, I couldn't remember, because who gave a fuck about it? <laughs> uh, no, honestly, and I, and I gotta say, Rick, and you know this... John, truly, I've had enough of your lies. Let's get on with whatever you had planned for your lie fest, but don't... I'm sorry, go ahead. The, the podcast community <laughs> really backed uh, Fear Agent from the start, yes, because as I always say, you know, we were all in the top ten because there was only eight of us, and, uh, <laughs> and we all uh, would talk about... Um, the great independent books that were out there, and some had been out for a while, like Powers and things like that, but we're like, hey, this Fear Agent, man, this is fantastic, holy, I mean, it's like Flash Gordon on acid, I mean, this is insane, and it's, yes, well, by whiskey, and (laughs) with with clear influences of EC Comics and Mad Magazine kind of sensibilities, and, um, you know, I mean, you know, Rick, uh, the idea started with you, so... Like, tell us about the genesis from the from the writing standpoint, and then also, I think you and tell me as far as how much of your own art contributed to like Tony any ideas contributed you get very, very little to to Fear Agent. <laughs> Stop it! So <laughs> when my brilliance came to me, um, in a flat. No, I had I had uh, I had um, fallen in love with EC comic books going back to when I worked at a comic shop uh, in the early '90s, and. Um, Tony, in, uh, uh, somewhere across the country, had also found Wally Wood and Will Elder and Al Williamson, um, as all good-hearted people should at some point. And um, we had become friends in, uh, in 2000 when we had a, a table at San Diego, and they relegated us. And those San Diego tables are not cheap, but they relegated us to the pornography section. For real. And so Tony and Kirkman and, and Corey Walker are in one section. And I, I was right next to them with Kieran Dwyer, and uh, we had all spent our life savings to go to, we're going to San Diego, we're going to make a splash, here we come. And, and then you end up in a porn section. And then we get there, and we're in the, <laughs> in, in, in the very back corner. There's this aisle, on um, one side there's a, a porno... Um, Star, Star Wars parody called yeah. Star Balls. Yeah. Star Balls, everybody. on loop. And then Eros Comics is on the other side, and then us. And then a wall. Yeah. And, and then so, the wall. So people would look down the aisle and be like, eh, nothing there. And yeah, so if you were like, you could just hear Tony and Kirkman on the other side going, like, Battle Pope, you guys are on Battle Pope. And we're, we're on the other side going, Black Heart Billy, Captain Dingleberry. <laughs> <laughs> we spent all our money. And so um, 
we, we, sort of, we sort of became friends in 2000, commiserating over uh, the lack situ- of interest, uh, the si- lack of interest, <laughs> and the situation that we had been thrust into by by the San Diego Comic Con uh, people, putting us into the porn section. Um, but we showed them we're going to burn it down this year. Uh, anyway, this is is that recording? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> well, good. Let them know I'm yeah, coming. So uh, Tony and I became pals, and, and uh, we worked on an uh, uh, adult humor magazine that I won't name, lest you go find it and, and start online kerfuffles about me again. Be mean to me. <laughs> There's so much shit in there that nobody should ever see. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, Scott. So Kieran Dwyer was doing that this book, and Tony and I contributed to it, and we just started you know, hanging out at shows and talking. And um, I had been drawing a bunch of Wally Wood stuff, and Tony was working on some zombie book that didn't go anywhere. Um, and one night we were uh, discussing it. And Tony had done an illustration for a Rob Zombie book where he did a, a Wally Wood-style spacecraft. And Spaceman crashed into a moon and fighting a tentacled beast. And I was at the same time working on this um, Woodrow Salt character for a pitch that, that was turned down with a rocket-packed, you know, 1940s Buck Rogers guy. And we were just talking about how we both loved that stuff and how we should do a book with it. And so um, it wasn't too long after that that we, we pitched it to, to Image and, uh, and, and put it together. So I think it was within like 48 hours we had figured out the book. Really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. We, we had like a conversation and... Rick was like, all right, well, uh, I'll kick around some ideas. And then we, yeah, uh, I started kicking around some visual stuff. He was kicking around some concept stuff. And we got on the phone and, you know, kind of traded them back and forth. And, uh, you know. Weren't you guys hung up on a name? I remotely remember, like, you couldn't nail down a, a title for it. Yeah, and you did uh, a bunch of logos for us, right? Did I? Oh, shit, I don't remember. Yeah, the... Uh, I think it was you and, and, and Harper Jayton and people. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, we were... Uh, forever trying to find something that because the guys at image were like i don't know about this name uh, it, we, we were it was lone star lone, for a while yeah lone star and i thought that was perfect you know, texas <laughs> stars he's by himself it's, it, it's all there uh but for some reason it just didn't fly and uh uh so we you know rick yeah rick was like racking his brain uh, he came up with he, like yeah. probably about well i had i had a pile of cds next to my computer and fear was on top of agent orange oh and and uh, uh, so I was just oh, I was I'm literally just looking oh, around I my office. Oh, I see the title. Sure, sure, sure. And so uh, I was like, you know, fear agent orange, fear agent, fear fear agent. Nice. So I guess we owe Agent Orange and and, uh, and, and fear a thank you. Because I always always wondered if uh, the tower under sea agent name maybe occurred to you guys because there especially in that Silver Age period, a little bit later than EC. Underwater was just as, as as mysterious as outer space. Sure, and you know, undersea agent is kind of this like forgotten tower. Uh, Has it, anybody other than John? No. Yeah, you guys. Well, again, well, it is. It is. Well, yeah. You know, and it's kind of a thing that probably does slip through the cracks and stuff. But you know, they're uh, Thunder Agents and stuff. Was it yeah, a TV? Uh, is it a TV show? No, it was. Uh, it was a backup feature in a lot of those Thunder Agent. Uh, and and I, I think it did have its own comic book I mean, as well. Yeah, but like, there you go. Like, you were not even aware I knew of it. Walking you know? with Thunder Agent, but. Uh, no, no worries. But Heath is another thing. Literally, your character and Heath Corson, the current writer of Bizarro and DC Animation writer, are the only two Heaths I know. So where did... He, well, Russ, I, uh, 
I, oh, Russ I, Heath I, I had a Russ Heath, yeah, I had okay. Russ Heath comics piled but up. But it's a first name. Because like, at the time, all my illustration was, was I was looking at Will Elder, Russ Heath, Wally Wood, and looking at all those classic EC guys who, if you don't know them, or, you know, you should investigate because these are these are true craftsmen that inspire. Oh, my God, yeah. That have, they haven't, and the, they're unparalleled. They're haven't been, we haven't seen their like again. And, I mean, and they are adult, and they're adult comics. And not an adult in dirty sense, but like really like they are really still sophisticated comics that read just as well as they did 50 and 60 years ago. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I had a Russ Heath book there, and I saw Heath, and I was like, oh, a little Russ Heath, a little nod to old Russ Heath. That's all. Does he know? I don't, I don't think so. Okay. I don't, ta- I don't talk to he- well, you know, heroes you, because it... Oh, really? Well, really? No, I try not to talk to people who are my heroes. He's, he's a pretty yeah. good one. You should talk to him. Yeah. yeah well, and I, yeah, I was just going to say, you know, being being the San Diego vet that you are and stuff, yeah, you know, he's, he still comes and everything. He was there this year. Really? Oh, yeah. And great. Uh, he and uh, Wade I just last don't know year. What I, yeah, I just yeah. never know what I would say to people. It's just, yeah, I walk away. Well, I, what I loved was the fact that very early on, you guys, and I don't know how it happened. Well, first of all, I want to know, like, so who, who greenlit it at Image? Was that uh, Eric Larson back that then? That was or? when it was Larson. So it okay. was uh, uh, Savage Dragon, Eric Larson. Yeah. Who was running things, uh, you know, was kind of the one of the Image founders that was greenlighting books back then. And, and really had <clears throat> good taste and a lot of things that you wouldn't necessarily expect yeah. that Eric Larson would like. But, you know, like you guys in Age of Bronze and so many other different books – you know, Eric is responsible for greenlighting him at Image. I mean, Eric Stevenson gets his due, but I think Eric's. Uh, well, yeah, Eric I think Larson's it was. I think it was really Stevenson that brought in like me and Kieran Gillen and oh, Matt, really? Matt Fraction okay. and, and Hickman and, and those guys. But uh, Larson was working closely and had a, was was invested in, in putting it together and helping us get it. And you know, he was he, he he helped me. You know, I ended up designing that logo for the for the book. And so Eric Larson was you know he volleyed with me on that and didn't you know they, you know they, they, they helped out and then obviously when we went to, to dark horse mike richardson uh helped out a lot too in keeping it going because the sales were everyone was like nobody wants science fiction you should quit and mike richardson was like you know no we'll keep it going that's cool and that was again early on that was within the first 20s it was like we're on issue 12 or after issue the first 12 two? Yeah, yeah after the first two uh, arcs yep. i knew you made the switch that early on because again i really wasn't in it into it from the beginning and one of the great things is as you say you're, you don't talk to your heroes but um it, i love the fact that uh, an ec vet and mad magazine vet uh, was made aware of, of Fear Agent. Tony, I don't know, you know, tell us the story about uh, yeah. both of you do in terms your of... stalking of Jack yeah, Davis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The great yeah, Jack I, Davis. I just <laughs> stalked Jack Davis, and uh, uh, I, I knew what city he lived in, and I knew his name. <laughs> I know and, where you uh, are, Jack Davis. Uh, <laughs> and, and I had a buddy who had a subscription to one of those, like, people finder services. Oh, hilarious. And I don't know... <laughs> Uh, but, uh, My buddy Jimmy the Stalker really it, loves it. He was like, I can figure that out for you. And I so, got a buddy who looks at so people he, while they uh, shower. So he sent me an email with his with his full mailing address and his phone number on it. Oh and so God. I got his bank account, too. I basically just paced in front of the phone for about a half hour ringing like flop sweat and my heart palpitating, thinking like, oh, my God, I'm going to pick up the phone and he's going to be on the other side. And... Uh, uh, yeah, I finally worked up the nut to pick up the phone and actually call him. And he was incredibly friendly. I said, uh, you know, like, uh, we're, we're working on a book that's a love letter to the stuff you guys did. Um, you know, it would be an absolute honor 
to, ha to have you, you know, possibly do a cover for us. And he said, well, sure. Um, you know, obviously I'd have to, like, see the book to, you know, make sure it was something I wanted to work on. Sure. And, uh, and so I mailed him uh, 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 all the books we had so far. And he uh, he left me like the kindest voicemail that I've ever gotten, and uh, uh, he was he he said, uh, you know, just I, I love what you're working on, the, you know, the way you guys draw and color, like I, I, it makes me feel like a caveman. And uh, wow, he said, uh, he said he said the book is beautiful. <coughs> you know, God bless him. I wish Harvey Kurtzman was alive to see it. And like I'm. I'm sitting on the phone, like, I mean, tears just rolling out of my eyes, like, thank you, sir, and, like, uh, uh, it, it was, it just killed me, um, uh, and I called Rick and told him, he's like, well, go drown yourself in the bathtub, because it's all downhill from here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, now, also, that's Rick's answer for almost anything. <laughs> go drown yourself in the bathtub. That's yes, empty. <laughs> all right, well, <laughs> it won't get better than this. <laughs> oh, but it did. I mean, you know, it's, um... I'm glad that Dark Horse uh, saw the vision and, and the opportunity to, that it was a good book and it was definitely worth publishing and stuff. You guys, obviously, would you say that Fear Agent was because Rick, you had done several other series, you know, uh, Nightmare and uh, Sea of uh, Forgive Me, Sea of Red, Sea of Red. Thank you. You know, things like that. Um, were those those were all pre Fear Agent? Am I right? They were, you know, what was inter interesting is I had started, I started doing comics in 98, and by 2004, I was going to quit. And really? I, I was done. Yeah. I had put, I had put, I was, I was, uh, you know, I was inking Mike on some. Which is why he wanted to quit. <laughs> were you, what were you guys working on? Some Beckett, some book yeah, from Beckett uh, Publishing. We, you know how every every year there's like a new thing, like we're going to do a comic company. Yeah. Remember we Beckett. got all this money sure. from some Chinese investor, and you yeah. know, yeah. it's you know, Bolastic Comics. And then you're like, you know, then there's some suckers who are like, I need money, and they're like, we'll pay you. You're going to make the hot new Bolastic Comics rule, Gang yeah. Lords of Chinatown. Yeah. And it was Please a don't yes, look it up. I remember Gang Lords of Please Chinatown. Please don't look it up. Yeah, I do remember that book absolutely. Yeah. Yes, yeah. It was and a, and it a was Terminator a paycheck. Two adaptation or three adaptation. Terminator three adaptation. Which two, three. three, 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 three. Who fucking cares? Wow. <laughs> Some movie adaptation. The thing where the, the the thing people care the least about in comics. It's like oh, they're making a movie adaptation in a comic book. Oh, yeah. yeah. Get out of my and, way. And, yeah. <laughs> Fuck watching a movie. I want to see what some like sad comic book creators did to recreate the <laughs> yeah. fucking movie. Woo! No, and the big sales pitch was like they, they they looked at us real seriously. I don't know if you got this conversation. They're like, "There's gonna be a Terminate tricks," and they looked at me like, "Get it? You got this, right? This is gonna be exciting." And I'm like, "You fucking guys, Terminator robot with boobs." <laughs> is your mind thoroughly blown? Yes. We're do we're just really fighting, you know, for women's rights and returning into it. Now, see, I'm, I'm not nearly as cynical. I actually thought we could do good books there. I, like, I had this whole pipe dream of like rule being. This is where we. This is where we. Because I'm a lot more optimistic than Rick. I yeah. thought Rick was doing. I mean, I don't know how familiar you guys are with Rick's art. I'm a huge fan of it. I yell at him <laughs> probably once a year. <laughs> And, and he was I was lucky enough that he was inking my my pencils were really we were doing a 45 page book every month and um, 
Yeah, I thought I, I thought this could be like our American Akira, which is so stupid. So stupid. Uh, yeah. I'd already had my ass just 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 smashed in comics for five years, so I knew. But so had I, dude. I started. Yeah, 99. No, I know, I know. But I you was kept, all failure all the time. Your fucking optimism is ridiculous. Yeah, what's at that the, point. What was everyone doing leading up to Fury and Exactly. So no. What else, yeah. What else, Mike? Well, Mike, I, I had self-published a book called Hysteria, um, which is was amazing. like a. Thank you. Uh, it was a. Cyberpunk thing set on like a fictional uh, island in the Caribbean, and it was actually this was long before uh, what's the Civil War Vertigo book that Brian uh, Wood did? Oh shoot, I don't remember. Is this where are you going into an attack on Brian Wood? No, no, not not at all. Let's keep it friendly. No, well, Hysteria was supposed to be set after a second Civil War in the United States. Right. Oh, oh, I see. Oh, DMZ. You're talking about DMZ. When I did it, everybody was like, this guy's such an asshole. This would never happen. (laughs) And then DMZ came out like five, six years later, and it was. a great idea. Yeah, I just thought you, I thought you were talking Brian about Brian did it, but when I did it in Puerto Rico, it fucking, whatever, this guy's full of shit. Yeah, so. It's hard to respect the Puerto Rican in you. It is. I- <laughs> <laughs> it does. It makes everything you say. I'm like, eh, I'm a Puerto Rican. Are you recording this? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, the word balloon audience right now is like, I yeah. can't believe this, this stuff. I hear the internet like, I hear the kid on Miguel. We're going to get him fired. We're going to do it. Get him. Yeah, because yeah, a sense of I, I, P.S. That was all a joke. Of course, Puerto Ricans are lovely no, I, people, yeah. except for Mike. <laughs> Everything <laughs> wrong with Mike isn't because of the half Rican. Yes, yes. It's probably because of the half white. Let's it is, do, yes. let's just put it on the table. <laughs> and Tony, what were, what were you doing? Uh, well, yeah, well, we know some of it, of course. You know, Battle Pope and then things like that. So, yeah, yeah what I mean, was going on? Yeah, I spent plenty of time drawing Battle Pope, and uh, uh, we did. I did Brit with Kirkman. Brit indeed, uh, absolutely. And then finally made a, a paycheck that allowed me to quit my job throwing boxes at UPS. Uh, That's a euphemism, by the way. <laughs> uh, uh, I, drew, I drew the Beast Man origin story for the Masters of the Universe comics, and uh, that was my, my big break. Yeah, thanks, thanks, guys. Thanks. Big Thank ticket. Um, yeah, first appearance of uh, non-Skeletor, Skeletor, like pre-Skullface. Pretty sweet gay guys. Very uh, important bit of quite a very a important bit of canon in the He-Man universe. <laughs> hey man, new, uh, new uh, movie coming soon. It's a Don't pretty big deal. Uh, oh, I know. We need more movies of our fucking adolescent <laughs> of toys. <laughs> exactly. Like I had a toy of a duck, and I want a fucking movie about duck the toy movie toy. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, Hasbro's got a budget, sir. What can I say? You know, they they they, they got the money they to burn. People will go watch. Uh, of course they will. God, when bat- yeah, really, yeah. when Battleship happened, I'm like, all right. Skeletor with a with real budget. <laughs> but yeah, so anyway, I had a, uh, a, a string of um, uh, failure books, and and then a, 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 a licensed property book that people read for a while, and then uh, and then and then that horror thing. The, yeah, I remember that. I've heard of that. Yeah, the Franklin, uh, Franklin Butterbean Zombie Hunter. Yeah, <laughs> uh, zombie masseuse. Um, well, the design of the design of Heath Houston. I know where the monsters came from, Tony. They come from your crazy mind, and I realize that. And I don't know. Um, and George what, Romero. You know, well, but uh, well, I'm saying I'm seeing the alien, hey, the alien monsters we see in, in uh, Fear Agent and stuff. But um, 
the, the design of Heath and things. Again, I know EC was the template, but yeah, I mean, yeah. Rick, did you have like a pretty much idea of what you wanted Heath to look like, or did you and Tony well, talk about it? I had done, so, I, like I said, I had been doing this book that Hilary Barta and I were working on with Mark Ricketts, and I had done a character called Woodrow Salt, and he was, he was going to be a rocket-packed sort of rocketeer guy. And so he had some of, you know, the basic things and the rocket The accoutrements and the, of an and astronaut. And the hose, you know, because I had really sure. fallen in love with just inking those Wally Wood hoses. Because yeah, there is a crazy it. science to it. No the way shit. you do it is, it's no joke. I mean, like, the light catches here, but once you get, once you learn how to do the shapes and then hit the brush just right, yeah. it's like, it's like a, it's like a mad science. And I fell in love with that. So um, little half moon, pull in, pull out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, was that about a moon and pull, what was that? Pulling I'm just pulling in and pulling out of the We're getting dirty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, so, so um, I had, I had, you know, Same I sent that you. design to, to Tony, and, and then Tony did a couple sketches, and we just talked about the things we loved, and and then Tony came back with, um, I think it was the full body one with this with the giant gun we didn't end up using, but the rest of it was was crazy. He was wearing aviators and had a you know like a toothpick hanging out of his lip, and the suit was. Uh, well, the suit was, as you know, I mean, if you've seen Fear Age, the suit, the suit's just a wonderfully uh, intricate, beautiful spaceman design with, um, with, with, a, with torturous detail. And all I could think was like, well, I don't have to draw it. And, <laughs> um, until, you know, un, un, until later in the series where I had to ink it for a few issues, and I was like, what have they been doing? This character's a fucking nightmare. <laughs> Under this book's label. <laughs> <laughs> um... I did ink that first cover though, and I got my first taste of like you know there's 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 like telephone wire hoses and zip zip and loopity dupes and anyway so he did that design and then did a couple more and I inked up some of the model sheet stuff and um, that was 2004 that we were doing that and that was uh, that was after my I'm going to quit comics period I, I wrote seven things and I was like all right I won't quit I'll try one more time and I wrote you know Fear Agent and Sea of Red and Strange Girl and Nightmare and Last Days of American Crime and End League and and Fear Agent and um, Strange Girl and Sea of Red were the first three out that we uh, we got out we got those all out in I think 2005 so yeah um, what's funny is I remember thinking uh, I'm I'm notoriously bad at choosing winners because I remember thinking holy shit Sea of Red this is gonna be a hit and I love the concept of it. I, I remember thinking, this has got to take off. Like, people have got to see that this is going to be fantastic. It had that Kieran Dwyer stink all over it. <laughs> I can only do so much to carry that guy. <laughs> <clears throat> it, it was great. I, it, I don't know if you guys are familiar with it. It was a, a, a pirate book, right? Yeah. But they were all vampires. And it, it was there were some really cool scenes. It seemed like one of the pirates is... Uh, but he's attached to a ship and so and he sinks the ship and he's he can't die, so he's just surviving under there as fish you know kind of go past him and he bites at him and just you just think of like like the revenge that's going to come at the end of that story and <coughs> it's good stuff. Well, that's that's Thanks, Mike. Honestly, that's what, what's always impressed me about Rick's writing is um, the genre splicing and and yeah. it's like you know uh, vampires meets pirates. Um, you know, I mean, Fear Agent really was a, a straight up space opera with a bit more alien monsters. I mean, you know, it's funny, The Martian is coming out in a, in a few weeks, and that really is more, you know, there, there is that lone man in space thing, which I always love, and I love that we do it in, or people do it in fiction. I don't mean we, because I haven't done it. But uh, we all enjoy it in fiction. Um, 
the the actual science behind it. Thank God there are two astronauts, at least, if not three, uh, in case something goes wrong. But that is where the danger comes from. We'll see it in The Martian. We saw it in Moon, the the uh, Sam Rockwell movie and stuff. And even though, you know, he, th- you know, had, well, he had his artificial intelligence he could talk to and everything. But uh, I forget her name. Annie. Anything. She's my favorite character, probably. It was his sure. self-imposed exile because he was uh, too, yes. too scared to kill himself, but not brave enough to, uh, or not scared enough to, you know, keep himself from flinging himself in harm's way. Um, yeah, and the genre. One of the things that Tony and I wanted to do, and one of the things that got us so excited that we had to keep doing the series, no matter how much the world kept saying we don't want science fiction in our comic books, <laughs> uh, which they they did say that a lot. Um, <laughs> was the idea of, of some genre mashing in it. So there were, we wanted to take uh, some of our other favorite stuff that EC had done, things like war comics and, uh, and, and westerns. And yeah, there's that space and, cowboy and, and, and mix it. So we also did two arcs in the series. One of them was sort of a, a, a Joe Kubert love letter, you know, uh, War the of the Worlds. Yep, that was front. told from a sort of frontline World Absolutely. War II style. Absolutely. Um, and then we did a western, uh, sci-fi western uh, arc as well, and 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 then and then we would go back to sort of the pure science fiction, like in the middle between those, and 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 you know it was just a love letter to EC Comics front and back, and with that stuff. I mean, but ultimately the tone of the story and, and, and how that all came together was just you know marijuana. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm sorry, is this, is this on? <laughs> yeah, and it's also uh, you know. I've always said we're kind of like a like a tire that's rolled through a lot of mud, and it's you know every everything we've ever loved uh, sticks to know, it. Sticks to it, yeah. And and so you know we roll through uh, uh, you know we've got the EC influence, and then like kind of the bombastic '90s, uh, and then uh, you know like the you know emo shoegazy uh, indie stuff that we love, and you know it really is a mix of, of so many weird things. Like really, you know, because Heath is a really vulnerable, broken character. You know? Absolutely, there's a lot of um, uh, all, a lot of baggage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so you know, we kind of get to play with all that at the same time. And, uh, you know. The only thing that I wouldn't let Tony put in is his love of of, of um, demon, large demon cock fucking in, from Faust. He kept saying, you know, just Heath has to just fuck the giantest demon dick. And I would be like, Tony, this doesn't feel like it fits our comic book. Pull it back, Tony. And he was like, but I love it. Look at this. Tim Vigil drew this big, veiny demon dick. And I want to do it. It's and I said, I said, Tony, I don't know how that flies in Kentucky, but the rest of those, you know, maybe. <laughs> the continuous 48 are against it. Exactly. Alaska and Hawaii might be okay with it. Alaska and Hawaii are super good with it, but the rest of the country. Alaska's notoriously a fan. Like, that's what Tim Vigil said. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Faust, Faust is still the number one selling comic in Alaska. Did you know that? I had no idea. Yeah, that's man. good to know, though. A little factoid for you. That's fantastic. Um, you know, well, and, I, and believe me, I, I know Tony's zombie success uh, helped uh, keep him busy and in demand and, and suddenly found himself probably with some other opportunities. The great news is... You kept finding other uh, artists to, you know, kind of alternate. Certainly, Jerome Pena alternating arcs with, uh, with yeah. Tony and everything. How did how did Jerome come into the mix? I, I just preyed on his low self esteem, and I told him that like no one else wants him, and that that no matter what else he did in life, that nothing would 
would would ever uh, satisfy him as much as my words would, and that he needed to draw them. <laughs> I was in San Francisco at the time, and Jerome, I was a teacher at the uh, Academy of Art University teaching animation and storyboard and comic book stuff, and Jerome had recently graduated, and his sketchbooks were legendary. He was one of these guys who, his sketchbooks, every student at the Academy had a copy of Jerome's sketchbooks. Wow. Um, and, uh, and he had just run the, won the Russ Manning Award. And he, he had just run – well, he, what, he, what happened was he did a book called Loan and, uh, and then won the Russ Manning Award for newcomer who might not suck. Um, and then he quit comics because it was a pain in the ass. And he started doing, like, concept art for video games, which is not a pain in the ass. And they, like, super, pretty good they super pay you the fuck out of money. Yeah. They're just all like, oh, hey, here's your money and whatever. You know, come or go or don't. <laughs> and then I was like, hey, man, you know what's better than that? Like, quadrupling your work hours. Huh? Huh? And taking, like, I don't know. A third of the money. Yeah, 20% as much money. <laughs> Yeah, but, Sounds and, great, Doc. Where do I sign? Yeah, I was like, <laughs> and you get to just sit around and draw shit that I say. <laughs> like, what? What's? Eh, it just sounds like a great deal. But uh, yeah, I, so I took Jerome out to lunch, and we had uh, we had hung out a few times in the Bay, and uh, I had a studio at that point, and we hung out in my office for an afternoon and talked about it, and I, I think he just really responded to the to the to the book. At that point, we had done, you know, I think we were on issue two or three. And uh, we needed somebody to come in and do the uh, the rough pencils on uh, a good bit of issue four, and um, he looked at what we had done and you know and the character and stuff, and he loved it. And so I he you know he he left behind the lucrative money uh, of his con. I still really I still don't understand how this all happened. <laughs> uh, yeah, and he left behind his he left behind his job with the money, and he he uh, he signed on to Fear Agent. And so then he. Um, he drew a good bit of four, and then he did five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and then uh, another artist I had recently found online, Francesco Francovilla. I convinced him to do an issue, and at that point, every sensible human in the world would have quit. I think our numbers were down to like you know four thousand copies an issue. Okay, it was making yeah. it was making no money. Um, Image tried very hard to like find a way to squeeze some money out to keep it going. And, and they were very supportive, but ultimately um, it, it was just dead. And that was when uh, um, Mike offered to put some money into it and keep it going. Mike Richardson. And, yeah. and, uh, Dark Horse. <laughs> Not Mike Hawthorne. Yeah, I was going to say it. Mike, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, Mike Hawthorne showed up. With a wad of cash. And he's like, did you know that I'm secretly rich beyond your wildest dreams? A pillowcase of money (laughs) in each hand. And not only am I rich, but I'm also going to lay out random issues when Tony fucks up the deadline. (laughs) And then I'm going to draw the last arc. (laughs) Indeed. Absolutely. No, it's, you know, so, yeah, you, I mean, you did come in basically to help, you know, Tony out. Is that... Mike was, Mike, Mike was helping on the book from day one in one form or another. And yeah, I think, I guess on issue one, I did some layouts, right? And did you do any of those backup stories? Uh, no, ironically, no, I didn't. Because I, I wanted to ask about that, too, and we'll get to Mike's story. But honestly, like, the Tales of the Fear Agent, like, you know, little eight-pagers and stuff that you would do. And I know Hillary did uh, one or two, and I, and I forget. Hillary did a, 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 a shit ton. Did he do a shit ton? I didn't realize. Hillary was one of the – Hillary Barta, if you don't know him, is the living embodiment of Wally Wood. And Hillary is Chicago's not Chicago's very own. I have to talk about it. You guys don't – hey, yeah, I'm you sorry. You, you, you don't mind it. We're actually on a panel. And We're having a panel. Shut up. Shut up. Podcast. 
sake or go off in the corner while we're, we're trying to I figure talk. out like the real logistics of like when because uh, well we can I do would, that live and we'll, or can I'll stop talking. Yeah, you know nobody and cares. Then we'll get back to the bar. They care. They want everybody is on the edge of their seats because I'm telling a story. Yeah. You guys want to talk about the logistics <laughs> of when Mike laid out? No, I think uh, my my mom's pickup truck was used to uh, carry the uh, instruments. <laughs> I'm not sure. My mom had a it was a '73 Ford wide road load. Chevy, I think. I don't know. Anyway, no, I'm sorry. So we'll let Rick, and then we'll get back to my. I don't remember what I was saying. Tales of the Fear Age. I don't even remember what that is now. And how Hillary Bardo is uh, the Uh, living embodiment of Wallywood, which he absolutely is. If you follow him on Facebook, he does a lot of sci-fi stuff that is still very much Fear Age and E kind of milieu. Hillary was, um, yeah, and Hillary was a hero of mine, somebody I wanted to work with, and he was he had agreed to ink me. Uh, and then he got me a job at Dark Horse drawing a Bruce Campbell written story called Man with the Screaming Brain that Hillary inked. And then he inked me on a book called The Last Christmas. But he also was sort of our cheerleader during Fear Agent, where what happened with the tales of the Fear Agent was basically the book was making no money. Every single retailer we talked to, every, every, everybody in the world was like, you guys should just quit this. You know, like do something about a superhero who's a spy and he's going to murder somebody. Um, and... There was no real reason. That I don't. I still look back on it and I go, Jesus Christ! What a like. What like? I just. I just. I am a sadomasochist. We are sadomasochists. It was just an effort in futility. Just like nobody wants this book. Well, fuck. <laughs> you know, like, we want it. You know what? Science fiction. And you can fuck off because I'll just keep making it. And I'll quit job. I quit a job at Electronic Arts. I quit a job at Warner Brothers. I just kept. I was like, I'm going to make this comic for free. My mom was just like, Oh Lord, my, my son's fucking retarded. <laughs> so anyway, um, the ta- we, so we started doing the backups, and Hillary con- contributed a lot to them. And the backups were a matter of the single issues had to go down to 18 pages an issue. In order to just make it feasible to do it, because every page of comic book costs, you know, eight hundred to twelve hundred several dollars. Several dollars to make a page of comic book, and so um, we went to all of our friends in comic books, and um, which at the time we were all up and comers. It's like Chris Somney, it's Chris, it's Chris yep. Burnham, it's you know. Yeah. Um, Steve Niles, um, and then, you know, Frank Avila did a whole issue of a Tales, and anyway, the list goes on and on and on. So all of these people um, really gravitated towards the book as well and agreed to help us. And so there were eight issue, there were eight-page stories in the back of each single issue to put it out so that with the people, because I felt bad about doing an 18-page comic. So everybody who did those backups, going from Paul Renaud to, I mean, just genius people, did them for free. Wow. They did them for free just to pad the issues so, so we had full comic books to sell. Well, and clearly they love the concept. And I know in the case of Hillary, I mean, God, you know, that, like I said, that's totally up his, up his alley and everything, so it doesn't surprise me. And, and especially I know how generous of a guy he is as well. So. Yeah, he's a sweetheart. Absolutely. He was, he was highly supportive and kept us going a lot and, and contributed all kinds of – he wrote probably four of those and brought in artists and, you know, he was – and like you say, God, Somni, Burnham, Frank Avilia. I mean, Jesus. I mean, I all these guys now are... And I'm are, probably forgetting know. a ton of others. Uh, Paul Renault, Frank Avilia. I mean, oh, Al, Raphael Albuquerque. Of course. Um, yeah. Jesus. Paul Harmon. Uh, you know, Jerry Duggan came in and did one with some... Uh, you know, so, yeah, anyway. One of your last Christmas one, collaborators. Uh, Ivan actually. Brandon. Wrote. Ivan, yep. Uh, oh, yeah, Ivan Brandon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so... It was, Very uh, cool. It was, uh, yeah, everybody was like... 
you know, just trying to pitch in to keep the, you know, to keep bailing the water well, a little. Well, bit. honestly, it's like a, it's like a good indie band that you know, you know, like a group, a handful of your friends love. And like I said, the podcasters, we all loved it. We're all just like, this is an awesome book, and it's like, yeah, maybe it's time for sci-fi to come back in comics. And you were kind of a little ahead of the curve, unfortunately, from a financial standpoint. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yeah, to put it mildly. But um, but the interesting thing is, no, I really do think that um, pop culture tastes have kind of swung into your direction and everything. I, you know, and by the way, folks, if you have questions, we've got the microphone, and we'd love to, you know, get some questions for these guys as well and, and their involvement. So now let's let's get to uh, to to Mike and Tony's story of whose van it was that uh, was involved with Mike getting involved. No, please, you know, in terms of uh, Mike's contribution, because really, I mean, co- coming in on the last arc, we saw you up front, but I know that even in preparation for that, uh, yeah. you know, Rick's like, hey, you know, Mike has been. Helping us out so here and there the, and stuff. So. What we were talking about was uh, Rick and I were discussing this yesterday that it looked like maybe I had done layouts for even the first issue, which I honestly don't remember 100%. I was, um, I don't know if it was like the, very, the first, first image. Issue. Or the first arc or something. But I think it was, it was when we got to Dark Horse. You were, you were helping out pretty early. Yeah, you were definitely helping out at, at Dark Horse. Um, yeah, I don't the, remember, man. Uh, I really don't. Yeah, I, I sniff so much glue. I, uh, I was actually re- huffing. Part of the reason was I was actually ghosting on a lot. But ghosting is when you do stuff uncredited, and I was ghosting on a lot of stuff. And I don't tell people when I do it only because I, I usually respect the person I'm ghosting for. And so, but not in I, this case. Not yeah. Although I don't. You had well, you had the unmen though. I know at Vertigo. And that's how I discovered you. That was that was a couple years later when I was working at Vertigo. So. Okay. But, okay. But, and I do remember Gangs of uh, Chinatown. I mean, that's the crazy thing. I totally do remember oh. that, and thinking it was a very cool and distinct book. And like as uh, like as as Rick and I were k- kind of kicking off your agent, uh, you know, at, at Image, you, you know, you were making your money on the back end. So you, if you had to keep the lights on during production, it gets kind of tight. And uh, uh, right as we started kicking this off, uh, Vertigo called me and asked me to do if I was interested in working on the ex- Exterminators with Simon Oliver. Uh, yeah, with Simon Oliver, and it was a. You know, it's hard to like. It, it was, seemed like a fun pro- project, and I, I was I was into the, the everything about it, uh, and I was also into the idea of making a paycheck. Yeah, uh, and so, <laughs> so I, I, I couldn't say no, and uh, and so I was like, well, I'll figure out a way to juggle it, and uh, uh, that was not a, not a great idea for me. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm I'm not a juggler, <laughs> and. Uh, so I'm not a juggler. The Tony Morrison. Exactly. Another good and, uh, quote. Exactly. And and so yeah, there were a lot of times where uh, you know I'd realize like I gotta I gotta find a way to 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 streamline this a little bit or offload some of the the stuff here. And uh, you know I'd, I'd read Hysteria and loved it and known Mike for a long time and I was like you know we had similar sensibilities and I think uh, you know if I can get Hawthorne to do layouts on something like that I'll I'll, I'll try to try to tap him for it and. Uh, and, and he was fortunately he was game, and uh, you know so all of the issues that are very exciting to read that have like you know really good action, uh, those are not mine. <laughs> Hawthorne really comes in. You well, can see it, like the ramped up storytelling, and it becomes well, thank you much more. No, well, you're good too, Tony. Oh, for sure. Well, what's funny is it kind of like it set a bad precedent in Vertigo for a while because then they had they had a, they had a couple of issues worth of layouts for me. That you didn't even draw, like they're just sitting around, and John would go, "Hey, I have all these layouts," and then hire another artist that they were not intended for. I, I think Lucas used 
an issue. Potentially, I, you know. But yeah, they just got, uh, like, I had to talk them out of, like, look, I'm not just a layout guy. Like, I can do all this stuff. Yeah. So I got an arc on, on Exterminators, too, thanks to Tony, which was awesome. Oh, that's cool. I'd forgotten that. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah that, that was a lot of Sar stuff. That was great. No, <laughs> well, like I said, the Unmen, who were, you know, a, a bunch of uh, characters that came out of Swamp Thing, uh, yeah. the original Swamp Thing and everything, yeah, uh, that's... That's how I discovered Mike, and I was just like, oh, my God, this is great art and everything. And Mike was really a very early War Balloon guest as a, as a consequence. That's right, yeah. I did. I loved the book. I thought it was really cool. Well, I remember I had this idea in my head that I had to try to promote this book, even though it wasn't ours. And so John was nice enough and gracious enough to talk to us about it. it John's fun. great. Everything's, oh, everybody loves each other. Nah, I mean, honestly, I, I, Jesus Christ. It, it's cool because, you know, it's Wimbledon's 10th anniversary this year, too. And I mean, boy. that's I, I really I love <laughs> watching having watched you guys and being ringside for you guys starting out and, and really, you know, making your bones and, and reaching your level of successes that you're that you guys are all at right now. And especially you that time at Image and at Dark Horse was really in between the founding years where they were making millions and, you know, having literally parties on aircraft carriers. That's totally true. Um, to, uh, you know... To uh, us. Well, really, you yeah. know, yeah. The, well, the comic collapse of the late 90s and then everyone kind of finding their footing again. <laughs> so they're... way out of the grave. <laughs> literally. Really, in, in zombie-like fashion, fashion. Absolutely. No, it's... Um, no, I think a lot of fresh ideas came out and a good generation of creators that were coming with new ideas. Who are all racked with ne- neuroses now from so many years of doing it not making money. <laughs> yeah. Well, but now... Getting into comics in those years wasn't a smart decision. It, it wasn't something you did. It was not a financially smart decision. And Mike and Tony and I and a number of our friends and Jerome and a lot of the guys we came up with... Um, you know, by 2007 or 8, after we'd been doing it for so many years, we were all very, very bitter and broken. Um, there, there, was, there was a lot of like, oh, what have we done with our lives? Yeah. But the good thing is now, I mean, you, you guys are all examples of doing your thing, showing you've got craft. Luckily, there is that art or that editor that catches your work and says these guys can do it and not just do it for the fly-by-night companies but luckily for, you know, the, the two big corporate companies out there, DC and Marvel, um, you know, in the case of Vertigo for, for Tony and Mike and, uh, you know, Rick making his uh, – I mean, and Rick did a little bit of DC stuff but clearly, you know, Marvel has been a way of broadening your audience. And sure. now you've got this – Beyond um, what you've made since and what you guys are currently doing, and I want to talk about that, but also this back catalog that you go back to in the early yeah. 2000s. And I always say, really, truly, Rick, I, you and Fraction are like classic examples of the great thing is you guys make your name at Marvel. You go back with your old catalog of stuff. You bring it back to a new audience. And that's the thing. And people are discovering Sea of Red and Nightmare and Fear Agent and things and, and yeah. can do that now. Practically and and now finally – you know, maybe you're, if not, you know, better doing better than breaking even. Hopefully, on the expense of the 32 issues of, of Fear Agent. I don't, I don't know. Oh yeah, I mean, th- okay, I mean, it, it, but but by it, when it happened, it was I think 2000. When did we did probably 10 or 11. <laughs> Excuse <laughs> me. Well, I had begged Mike um, to do those uh, the big omnibuses, the big library editions. Okay, yeah, and. Um, Money-wise, uh, everybody was like, "I don't think that's a terrific idea." <laughs> and I and I was like, "No, you know, now that it's done, 
it's it's because every page was as perfect as we could make it, and it was it was Tony and Jerome and Mike Hawthorne and Kieran Dwyer, and you know, it was nothing but beautiful artwork that had been bled into. And I knew that once we got it into a nice oversized collection with the tales of the fear agent in the back, and something that people who hadn't experienced it could find in that format, I knew it was was would click. And I knew that like science fiction was going to have its day, and it was. Um, <coughs> Excuse me. I had been enjoying some success with Tony on Venom, and enjoying some success with Jerome on X Force. Yep. And so, basically, the Fear Agent team when we went to Marvel, we had to, um, and that was one of the huge reasons that that we were so lucky that Mike could come in and, and do the majority of the pencils on the last Fear Agent arc, because we had started up doing Venom and X Force, and um, schedules were were a mess. But ultimately, that work. And the work we did on that, which is very much just fear agent work. I look at that Venom run that we did, and I look at the X-Force run I did with Jerome as extensions of fear agent. Because they were born out of the same time frame, same sensibility, same mindset, same art team, same passion. Um, And so those two books, and at the time... Venom and X-Force, those are not roads to success. <laughs> That's, those are not books that you're like, all, and I'm going to be a superstar. I finally got this one. Yeah. yeah. I got X-Force, ma. <laughs> you know, like. Not only is it Venom, but it's Flash Thompson is Venom. Yeah. Even cooler. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. And then it stuck. You know, it's like actually this is a good idea. <laughs> but I think that it was the fact that it was us doing what we loved and how sure. we loved doing it with Marvel characters in a way that where we found a huge new audience that that really wanted the stuff, and then that audience um, was there in 2011 or 12 when we put out that first omnibus, uh, that first oversized hardcover. And so we put out the first library edition, and all of the people that we had made aware of our work on Venom and X-Force, and obviously Tony's fans from uh, The Walking Dead and, and, and the, uh, the, the Vertigo book, they all didn't know about Fear Agent, and here it is, completed. And I, I was, a, 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 you know, a, it's like all the people who found The Wire or found some, sure. you know, or Deadwood or some yes. HBO series that they didn't watch when it came out but really were very lucky and they could binge on it when it was, you know, all done. And so um, we've I, we, I found out last week we're in our fifth printing on those hardcovers. Fantastic. Which – if I could go back in time and tell us from 2005, it'll like, be it's, right, buddy. it'll, it'll be okay in like a decade. I know that sounds shitty. If I can add something, though, I think like you're talking about these teams that all went to Marvel and how shitty it was in the early 2000s. I think what happened though, is you had a group of guys, because I'm sure you saw a lot of guys that would come into the business thinking they could make a ton of money and sell something to Hollywood. You know, like I worked with a couple of screenwriters because I had done storyboards. So I get these film guys all the time saying, will you draw this book for us? And there was this high turnover of guys that thought you could just jump in and do comics and then got burned up pretty quick and left. And so you had this small group of guys that were sort of in the trenches for a long time together and just got really, really good. And <clears throat> you saw Marvel figure that out. And it was like every we were like we were like progressing almost like in these weird dog years. Like every year was like seven years of experience because it was so hard. And so you were able to get a team like Tony and Rick to do Venom. And it was like they'd been making comics for 20 years or something. And these, these, they came out amazing. And you, then you have these ideas that nobody thought of, right? And who, who thinks of Venom 
as a suit that you can wear for a short period of time before it makes you crazy. And I tell my kids all the time, like, this is the coolest idea. And, and kids sort of, my kids get really excited by these big concepts. And I think that shitty time, the silver lining of it is that everybody that stayed in got incredibly good. Like, it's no, it's not by mistake that Jerome went on to do the, the amazing artwork he was doing on his pages. It was because he, he had done all these, you know, incredible pages when times were hard and there was no money. So all of a sudden when you could get a little money, you could do amazing work. Just because you had this less stress on your head all of a sudden. I think we, we also enjoyed a lot of uh, freedom because we were often handed things that were uh, yeah. that had low expectations of success. <laughs> and so there's like, oh, what do you got to lose? Let's go nuts. Yeah, I don't know. Give, yeah. give him venom. Well, and, and so people responded because we were like, well, hell, let's just swing and, for the fences and you know, and you go nuts. And, the, who and people respond on. to that. Yeah, and I looked online for a Venom action figure somebody told me about, and, and they've made like six or seven toys based on your Venom design. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And you got all those paychecks, I'm sure, right? <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, I mean, have you, seen, <laughs> you guys seen the trailer for the new Deadpool movie? That looks like Tony's Deadpool in the yes. movie. I mean, there's slight variations, but that's not. I mean, that ain't the Liefeld Deadpool you're gonna see on screen. Oh, no. So that's, I no, think I you know, you, it's you guys were like making everything feel new again. Whatever you were touching on, you know, like it, it was amazing stuff. Absolutely. And as you are now, it's, yeah. you know. No, I mean, I, I'm lucky in that. I have, you know, Tony's my pal, and he keeps bringing me, he keeps, he's like my agent, he keeps getting me work. No, you're, you're, so, you're, uh, uh, you're, you're the Han Solo pulling the Millennium Falcon out of the fire. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, I'm always lucky in that, I, I like, had Tony, like, like, we're talking about Fear Agent specifically, so. No, no, had, we, we, I want to bribe this. Well, but I, I should mention this, so I mean, pleasure. I remember drawing it and thinking, if I had to come up with this shit, it would have been, it would have been crap, like. I, I didn't have the sensibility to come up with the world that Tony uh, uh, did with Fear Agent. So I've been lucky in that I inherit all these things that Tony's sort of set up, and all I got to do is keep them propped up and make sure they don't fall over. And uh, so I, it seemed with Deadpool, that design, that new design, I am absolutely in love with. And it's, it, it's, <clears throat> it's a character that I think a lot of people love, and he got the gist of it, but still made it feel not, you know, 90s, like you freshened. Oh, absolutely, no, definitely, and it's um, as you you know transition to the cover work, um, and and you know I'm glad that you've got time to kind of keep one foot in Marvel, but also you know kind of do your own thing, and it, and I know you're getting into even more collage and more real, you know, uh, give me the word because it's not commercial, it's not commercial art per se, it's really. Some of the projects that you're working on, we talked about. Uh, that yeah, last I mean, it's uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to kind of dip my toes into the like fine art and gallery stuff, um, and and also kind of, you know, what any any kind of like advertising or whatever. I'm I'm kind of broadening my uh, my reach as much as I Your can. Your work base, and, and, yeah. you know, working out outside of comics a bit, um, you know, and just exploring some different avenues and media and stuff, and it's been you know fulfilling. Well, and like you said, you, you guys, you you and uh, Jerry Duggan and Brian Posehn have injected a new life to Deadpool. I think mm-hmm. with your with your Deadpool run, and you know now and Mike, you're continuing the you know doing the interiors and stuff. The um, Rick, you're 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 stepping away from Marvel. You you really made an impact. You, you they gave you a lot of the big toys based on the success of Uncanny X Force. Am I right? Is it Uncanny? I always forget the adjective. Yeah, that was all it. right. It was Uncanny X Force. I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to make sure. Yeah, but but no, man. I mean, you know, and 
moved a lot of characters. I mean, my God, de- you know, uh, depowering Steve Rogers and. You know, I, I everyone understands that a status quo of a character at one of the big two will change in a very dramatic fashion. And the cool thing is that what you did in that nail arc with uh, Captain America and depowering Steve, it was the nail, right? The, the, the iron nail. Yeah. The iron nail, excuse me. And, um, yeah, that, you know, now we've got, like, 90-year-old Steve Rogers yeah. in the action suit, luckily still having, you know, it's like it's kind of like Bruce Wayne in Batman Beyond. Where it's like, you know, when the chips are down, the guy is still going to find a way of making it work, but he just isn't physically necessarily. I mean, he's got the. He's going to do it while dribbling pee pee in his. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I mean that's a good example of of you know Rick's stuff. You always get the sense if you heard about it before it came out, you go Marvel will never do this, (laughs) and then they you know he talks them into it, and then it works. I mean. It's lasted a lot longer than I expected, and, and it's it's continuing, I believe, and it's and it's yes, yes, and also, by the way, of course, the byproduct of that and a very important byproduct, Sam Wilson steps up from being the Falcon and is Captain America, and a very effective Captain America, and a new Captain America that you know a lot of people can get behind, and and a, a new avenue of stories, and you open that up for for that character, and I mean, just like you and you guys did with Venom as well. I mean, that's the thing. You, you, you took an old concept and brought in new possibilities. That's the job. Yeah, that not, is let's not forget Frankencastle. I, say, <laughs> I love it. That was great hey, man. stuff. Like, you know, when, when we've got, like, carte blanche on our own stuff, and then uh, we, like, we've got, like, Frankencastle, it was like, well, let's, uh, we've got some ideas here. Uh, they're probably going to say no to three-fourths of these, so let's cook up about 200 crazy fucking things we can pour in here. And if, you know, some of them stick, we'll still have a pretty sweet book. But that's then, like, you know, and honestly, you, uh, we talked during Frank Castle, and that was a lot of fun, and I enjoyed it too. That was one that, and I, and I appreciate your balls and putting them on the table and going, no, we're doing this. Yeah. And that Marvel was like, sure, why not? This is cool. And I know there was like, yeah, we don't, you know, there was a, there was a very loud, we don't like this uh, from your We classic. don't like imagination. Exactly. Frank Castle yes. has to be this guy hey, who man. makes me feel powerful and kills. Take that Puerto Rican drug dealer. <laughs> my streets. <laughs> this is a classic Michael. character, The Punisher. I was just looking at that Mike I, when I said that. Yes. Sorry. yes. <laughs> I had a flashback of my poor uncle. <laughs> Damn you, Castle. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like, you know, yeah, you decades of Punisher done a certain way. Yeah, and absolutely, you guys are like, hey, guess what? We're turning the boat. We're going the opposite direction. Like, well, he's he's a monster. Yeah, and that he's a monster. out of the box for a little while. Absolutely, yeah. that that uh, and that blast. Punisher run. I look at that as a part of Fear Agent in a way oh, yeah. where mm-hmm. Mike was helping on layouts. Yeah. Jerome Pena did the opened the first arc. Um, Tony and then I then came in and went balls out crazy like we do in Fear Agent, and it was the same people doing something at Marvel that was that was just upsetting people, like just. And in and, fairness and, to you, but but you, it was you had it, it 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 was after a long run with guys like Opeña where you did a very classic Frank. Oh and no, War I, Journal, I did I did ten issues of Classic Frank. Was it really only ten? Before oh, I was shit. so. Bored of classic Frank, I wanted to. I, 
I'm surprised. Well, was, you, you and Rick it, were co-writing, it, it and then was, you took over. But it, go on. It was uh, I, I co-writed. I co-wrote. I co-wrote. Co-write That's why he's a writer, kids. I co-wrote some Punisher with Fraction on his series uh-huh. um, when he was taking over Iron Man and stuff, and became over overcommitted. And then I uh, and then Jerome and I relaunched the series together and okay. did a traditional Punisher story, which was fun for the five issues we did it. And then I had a character resurrect Frank Castle's family, and he could have them back. And his solution was to kill them all. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's going to get me some hate mail. I mean, like, that's where it's going to go south for me. Because he, he basically says, you know, like, it's, and the idea is Frank likes who he is now. And the Punisher is, he has an opportunity to have his family back. And he's like, that's not my family. And he's like, the guy's like, no, it is. I resurrected him. It's them. And he goes, no. And he sets them all on fire. And, I, and nobody cared. Nobody was like, eh, right, you know. It's another day in the life of the Punisher. It's a guy burning his family alive, whatever. But if you make him look goofy and have fun. Give him stitches with, and bolts in it. You gave him a bolt. You don't take a character like Frank Castle. And, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. and so we just, you know, but it's the best. It's some of the best work Tony and I ever did. Yeah, and stuff funny as hell, man. And we were spitballing. We, we had this monster concoction thing that we'd been spitballing as, as a potential like mini series of its own we'd been talking to Jason Aaron about it and trying to you know like get something moving with it and then uh, when when Rick got the idea or we got the opportunity to uh, to do something after his classic Frank stuff he's like I think we should try to do do this thing and, and so we kind of retrofitted the ideas and I was like man that, this is they're just going to look at us like we're absolute idiots for even putting this on the table. You got to let that freak flag and, fly, uh, man. And, and fortunately, Axel was like the exact perfect, uh, res- you know, receptive ears for that pitch. And he was like, "All right, let's go." And uh, fantastic. And, and well, because there was, I remember the point after we had cooked it all up before before we knew exactly what it would be. And Tony called me one day and he goes, "Hey, man, Franken Castle." <laughs> Because <laughs> at that point it was like you know Frank is going to get killed, chopped up, stitched back together, Amazing. and find himself having to protect the monsters. And then there was a metaphor about the monster and him being exposed. And we uh, cooked up all these things. We didn't have a title. And then Tony just calls one day with like, "Hey man, <laughs> Frank and Castle," and I was like, "We are the world's greatest idiots." <laughs> I like how he sounds like Sammy Davis Jr. all of a sudden. <laughs> hey, baby. Hey, man. Hey, man. Hey, I'm baby. kicking yeah. back here in Kentucky, and I'm thinking. But it's true. Althea we, we, and I were going. We, we, I, I called Axel and, and told him about the idea, and, and, and he was like, yeah, let's do it. You know, and, and to Axel's credit, he's one of the you know, few people in comics in a position he was in that would take those kinds of risks. And take risks on us because we were in a position where no matter how good Fear Agent was or anything, um, the industry was was stuck in some – oh, don't say bullshit, Rick. <laughs> say it, Rick. Say it. Don't say everything felt like bullshit. It's a word other than bullshit. What's the word I'm looking bullshit. for? <laughs> not bullshit. Not, not boring bullshit rehatched over and over again, but, but – Not um, that, no. What's the word I'm looking for? Anyway, um, – <laughs> Uh, yeah, and so Axel was, uh, you know, taking a lot of chances, and he brought in, uh, uh, he brought me in, he brought in Fraction, he brought in Jason, Jason Aaron, Aaron. Yeah. and Axel had an idea that you know we could do some interesting things and shake that stuff up, and so we did. And I think you know to this day, if you can, if you buy that Punisher omnibus, opening with Jerome Pena and then bleeding into Tony Moore 
and Mike Hawthorne and Dan Brereton and Roland yeah, Bosch. Dan Brereton too. Absolutely. I'm still. I couldn't be more proud of that book. It felt like a. It felt like the horror aspect of. It felt like the horror arc of Fear Agent. We always talked about doing, but never, never got around to doing. Very cool. Absolutely. And then, of course, you know, Tony, you go on too with uh, Jason and kind of do a, a you know crazy spin on Ghost Rider too. And granted, yeah. it was a little more plausible in Ghost Rider's world, some of the choices that you made. But yeah, I mean, you guys, you it guys was a went good time there. in Axel's office there. I mean, we, uh, you know, we got to really, like like I said, take the toys out of the box and like really, really play with them. And, uh, um, you know, it allowed us a lot of uh, freedom. And, and, you know, we could we could really make some, some good work that we felt good about. And that was the thing with, with, with pretty much all of it. And, you know, it was the... Like a lot of times throughout Franken Castle, we you know we, a, a sea of dissenting voices online, and Rick was like, "Man, is this a terrible idea? I, I think we fucked up here." Well, it was when I got the when I got the death threat, <laughs> and, and then and then when somebody was threatening my children on Facebook, uh, that was when I was like, "Oh, I think we've upset some Guns and Ammo fans." Ah, uh, social media. Yes. Oh, so you, you guys laugh. Thank you. This is a media. real thing. Like, yeah, it's it after is guys reading the Soldier of Fortune in their basement. <laughs> well, well, yeah. Man, yeah. Man, yeah. Man, yeah. Man, yeah. Man, Let the bodies hit the floor. Go, <laughs> Smearing <laughs> semen all over there. Sorry. So, uh, well, and on, and on that lovely <laughs> you know, metaphor, kid, I wish I, I wish we had this on film. <laughs> as I watch poor Miss uh, uh, Tony Moore's mother in the front row shake her head. Oh, I didn't know she was here. <laughs> She's like, Lord, Hi, Mom. my son's friends. <laughs> That's my boy. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. What? Yes, well, yeah. <laughs> She's a newspaper woman. She can handle it. It's all right. Oh, exactly. she's tough. No, yeah. she's very tough. Absolutely. Now, I was going to say, like, uh, you know, you, you're, you're, like I said, you're, you're, Basically, out, uh, soon to be out of Marvel. I mean, if you're not already, I don't know. I, if I turned last, in my last, last script last week. I was going to say, okay, yeah. and yeah, that man. wasn't because of you know, it wasn't because of them. They offered me the Avengers and the X Men and the Moon and money, and it was just to the point where, I, after writing superheroes for seven or eight years, I just wasn't feeling great about it. it. And I was like, I could take a stage, taking a stage like running the Avengers or running the X Men. Um, that's such a big stage, and and I was my tank wasn't full, whereas my tank is full for sort of my own creator own work, and I can go back to kind of re, recharge that battery. And we're also dealing with my, I've got some family stuff going on, but uh, life itself just spoke to me and it said, hey man, you know you got to chappelle this and walk away from the big job, and you got to go, you know, do your <laughs> own thing for a while. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're gonna be wandering uh, another kind of. If I didn't have kids, uh, yes, I would have been. I would have gone off on a walkabout. Well, but I think again, um, the environment is right to explore these. I mean, that's the thing. You've always had these ideas, Rick, but now the market is interested in their uh, DC and Marvel stars doing other things, and you've certainly built enough of an audience with the combined successes of, you know, Venom and Uncanny X-Force and Cap and, and all of these things that, that now you I can. Think, I think, and, and, and like, you know, I think Fear Agent's gotten to enjoy that Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, like 10, 10, 15 years ago, you try to pitch like a cosmic adventure uh, you get laughed out of the room, right? And uh, you know, as, Marcus as, as Rick said, we were just the idiots to try to do it. And then, uh, and 
and then it, you know we, we saw it through you know for better or worse and then slowly like it, it that became cool again yes i uh, know a lot of people guys so now that and Karina betko are uh, are doing invisible republic and I mean, it's a great space book and so yeah now that to name one immediately now that the the uh, the you know that the is it's in vogue yeah the yeah. guys is aligned with uh, yeah. you know that it's it well, that, I, I feel like Fury Agent had work. to have played into that. So think about it, right? Well, it, if you were if you were a fifteen year old kid, and you come across Fury Agent, now you're twenty five. I mean, I just feel like they're probably oh, not. Christ. Oh my yeah. God! <laughs> it must have changed. I thought we were still young bucks kicking against the weirdos here. You know, really, Hollywood is kind of cool. catching up with the idea. And I know that the the movie's kind of been in development. Like, is it, where's the status of any other media opportunities with? Fury? I mean, you know, we, we, there was a number of things. You know, it was at Universal for a while, and we were bouncing it around. And you know, I kept screaming like, "Let's!" You know, Tony and I both. Like, How about Matthew McConaughey? And everyone's like, right, "Matthew McConaughey right. in a space story." <laughs> <laughs> And then, you know, we, half the things they did in Guardians, you know, we were part of the pitch. And, you know, you just – everyone's like, I don't think that's going to fly. And um, so uh, there were some, you know, uh, ups and downs. There were some almost happens that didn't fall apart for creative reasons but fell apart for business reasons. It's just, um, it's just had, you know, like all of these things, m- most of them have a very difficult journey through this, you know. And given that the zeitgeist is just now, people are like, I think we might want something science fiction. And I'm like, no shit. You need something. Shut up, punch. Get at him. Get, where's your checkbook? But now that. <laughs> where's your checkbook? <laughs> Who knows what will happen with it. But, you know, I I think that the the interest in where where it's at and and the road we've gone through has has been – it's been tumultuous just as it was in comics. It was a lot of people who, you know, were like, oh, yeah, everybody wants to see Matthew McConaughey in space, you know, drunk fighting. and A lot of a, uh uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Okay, goodbye. Uh, I don't get it. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wonder, too, with the uh, other media platforms, I'm always – I'm always happy as hell for my comic book friends that find uh, their stuff suddenly appearing on Netflix and Amazon Prime and some some person who just screamed. Uh, but no, uh, you know, there's there's new opportunities beyond traditional television, cable, and film. And I, you know, I I, I don't know. And you've got and again, you've got a lot of properties. I want to talk about you know just even briefly. You know, you were about to debut Tokyo Ghost. Is yeah, it already out. Or is Tokyo for- Ghost comes out Wednesday. Okay, there you go. Yeah, I was going to say with Sean Murphy. Sean was Sean Murphy and Matt Hollingsworth. Yes, yeah, that's that's sort of um, uh, the way George Miller explored the uh, oil wars of the late seventies and early eighties. We are exploring our current addiction to technology through uh, a love letter to you know thirteen assassins and Lo- the old Lobo and RoboCop and Judge Dredd. Where we get a look at a at a future where you know our phones are all futurism sites say that in five years we can just get a chip put in this bit of our bone and we'll have you know holographic things that we can watch and we'll have fifteen shows playing and then you'll never be off Twitter, John. We can just be on Twitter all the time and like think about and then and then as the world toxifies and crumbles around us and fucking Donald Trump becomes president, it won't matter exactly because we're watching because we're looking at what some shitheads having for lunch. We'll be those Bernhardt Conan chairs floating like a Wally with their you know. 
know, bullshit in front of it. Yeah. So it's it's sort cool. of doing a it's it's my m- m- Sean and I's Mad Max, but with technology being the thing as opposed to oil and nuclear Armageddon. And and another legacy to to Fear Agent would be uh, Black Science, obviously. For sure, I think you know. you know. I think that it's 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 a very different kind of book. It's an ensemble. It's a family book, but uh, in that it's bubble helmets and it's me tapping into more of you know my love of doing big crazy science fiction stuff. And um, it lives in an it's entire differently place. But you know, because of the dimension hopping, I always think maybe they'll run into Heath somewhere at some point. Down oh, that'd be on. awesome. Uh, there they'll you they'll go. hop There's into a, cool a world crossover. Why not, man? Yeah, I don't know. But then you know that's super masturbatory, and I just go like, oh, my characters are gonna meat. Yay! <laughs> um, and and I, I saw the nice new volume of Last Days of American Crime. Yep. We just put out, uh, I finally got, got that to, that was a five-year fight that, you know, that was just a, not that anybody was against it. It was just a legal issue, but we finally, we put out an oversize of that with all that beautiful Greg Tokini artwork. Beautiful so book. fans of Lowe should check that out. Um, and it's it's uh, uh, a book that I'm, I'm as proud of as, as you know just about anything I've done. But wait, there's more. Deadly class. Deadly class. Yep, and that we do. Yep, there's some big stuff going on with that right now that we haven't announced yet. But um, that book is a, a, a joy because I get to sort of dig into all of my misadventures. Uh, in, my, in my teens and yeah. early twenties, and I, I journaled it all. So I was writing journals um, as a, back yeah, then to just I, I just you know I would draw and then I would like write a page of what happened to me today and like I'm twenty and and so I've got that real voice of that age and so I get to write stories about teenagers that is you know every time the forty two year old me wants to like clean things up or make it something that seems more plausible to me at 42 i read these journals and i go nope that's what you thought stupid and that's what you did (laughs) and and so and i and i found that there's a a whole new audience of of people that are in their teens that have really responded to it because of the honesty because it doesn't take the teenage existence and and clean it up at all it's as ugly and it's as needy and it's as drug-addled and and it's as sick sure and all of and cruel and all of those things that teenage years are, it's all of that, and, and, and hopefully in an honest way. Very cool. And, yeah, am I, am I missing one? I mean, that's the, that's the great thing, man. You always got a lot of fires burning. So. Yeah, and you wonder why you're so stressed. <laughs> he is a juggler, Rick Remender. The Rick Remender story. <laughs> I am not Spock. I am also Scotty. Juggler. Juggler. <laughs> Parenthetical balls. <laughs> Is there any? Is there any more? I I mean, I'm doing low with Greg Tokini. Right. Um, yes. I I am doing. There's a book I wrote in 2006 called Devolution, that um, we finally are putting out, uh, and that's coming out through Dynamite, and that was some being drawn by a guy who uh, came up with uh, Jerome Pena in the Academy days, John Wayshack, and John is an artistic beast. So it's very interesting to see scripts I wrote, a script I wrote 10 years ago coming to life with this really amazing artist that comes out in January. And uh, I, I can't speak to the script because, uh, I, I, I mean, it's, it's 10 years old. So I'm, like, I'm rewriting it. Okay. And the dialogue's getting refreshed. And I think it's, but it's for John, John Wayshack's a superstar. And when you see John and Jordan Boyd working together on this thing, you know, pick it up for that because it's gorgeous. Very cool. I, honestly, again, uh, any questions about this, about Fear Agent, about what these guys are currently working on? Um, we'll tell past, you anything. Past books. This, is, this is why they're here. Um, I know that uh, Tony, and while you're pondering and possibly coming up to ask, I know, you know, like we said, 
Uh, Tony is starting to explore the fine art world, but is also still uh, doing covers. And once uh, Secret War is done and whatever <coughs> becomes of the new 616 uh, Marvel Universe, uh, Deadpool will will be back with a new number one. And uh, it's am I right? Is it a new number one? Or are you guys continuing the number? I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's a new number one. The Hawthorns. Right. And Mike's doing Hawthorne's the interior. Kicking ass on the inside, and I get to you know do what I do on the outside. And it's is it Jerry solo or is it still Jerry and, and Brian yeah, together? Jerry. Yep. So Jerry Duggan is going to be writing that book. He and Brian Posehn kind of ushered in this new era of Deadpool with Tony. And um, you know, yeah, Mike's uh, Mike's continuing the tradition. I hear nothing but great things about uh, Jerry as a collaborator. Yeah, Mike, uh, speak to that, and yeah, both yeah, of you speak amazing. to that because I'm a bit. I love Jerry. Jerry's a really funny guy. He comes from the comedy world, but I think has you know made an immediate impact at Marvel and even his time at DC and done some great you know interesting things with with uh, established characters. Got his Hulk run was fantastic, along with the Deadpool run. And uh, very excited about what he's going to be uh, bringing to the. Yeah. Aaron Jerry's awesome. Up. Like some writers, unlike some, writers. treat their scripts as very precious. Now I, I've been really fortunate to work with a lot of guys that are very collaborative, and, and, and Jerry is is that as well. And uh, it makes it a pleasure to work with. He's not, he, nothing's nothing's precious. Um, you know, yeah. he, he's uh, open to you know letting anything be played with. And as a as a novice comic writer at the time and stuff, was it like, was it hard like kind of getting him and Brian to get to the comic book sensibilities and the, well, the no, specific I mean, style you know, of, of? You guys are forgetting like last Christmas novice, entirely. Uh, yeah, it? that's not. Yeah, it, it yeah didn't come off like, I mean, we did a book together in two thousand six <clears throat> about the last. Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, last Christmas. And he did, yeah, but all right. Well, even going back then. And then Jerry and Phil. Oh, that's right. Event Horizon. Event Horizon. Exactly. Like he he won an Eisner. Was nominated for Eisner. Yeah, boy, I'm an asshole. So, I mean, Sorry, he, Jerry you know, Duggan. He hit the ground as like this fresh-faced guy. Everybody's like, "Who's this guy? I don't even ever heard of." It. It's I like, hey, man, he's no slouch. And I even, yeah, and I shame on me because no, I loved uh, the collaborations. Both I loved Last Christmas and uh, Infinite Horizon with with Noto. That's a it's a beautiful book and it's a really smart book too. I noticed you didn't say Last Christmas was beautiful, John. Do you want to take another stab at that? <laughs> that's it. That's so. It is beautiful. It absolutely is beautiful. Hillary also. Yeah. yeah no, he, he, he got that. I remember that. Yeah, Hillary did a lot of great inks on that. Um, <laughs> I th- you know the the one the one thing about Jerry I think he and Rick sort of shared a sensibility that they'll throw these ideas out there that you kind of assume won't be accepted. Yeah, in a way. I mean, it, you mentioned the Hulk thing, and I won't say what the original plan for that was, but when he told, I, I remember he told me over the phone, and the idea was so like astronomically crazy that I actually considered. I said, look, like, m- can I quit Deadpool to draw this because it's so insane. Um, and some of the stuff he's doing now with the new Deadpool, uh, I'm drawing it, and there's a part of me that's a little worried, like because I think if you want more of the same from our last arc, uh, you might be a little disappointed because he's trying all kinds of new crazy stuff. But um, I think the evolution makes perfect sense for what... I mean, we're not pretending like we didn't hit him with a planet. We're not pretending like all the stuff that happened in the previous uh, story arcs, you know, never happened so his life is still playing out in a way that makes sense and also he's cashing in on his on his newfound popularity and he's trying a lot of crazy stuff that i think people are gonna you know either completely throw a fit over or just love to death so we start playing the music on the deadpool conversation you're so mean (laughs) (laughs) isn't that what they do what's that what's that song 
Is that it's just a family? song. I was just thinking, it's like, really, at, at award shows. All right. Oh, I see. Him off. I understand what you're saying. No, no, not at all. Absolutely. No, I think we, you know, we've made our so point, and that. there are no questions, so that's fine. But I'm no, sm- I wanna... uh, that one hurt Mike. I think Mike got hurt on that one. Oh, I don't care. No, 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 no. And also, no. I, I I'm mean, looking Mike, down. We Mike started was... late, so I just wanted to make sure that we, you know, did a, did a sit. I was actually looking down so I could bring up the Hootie and the Blowfish YouTube. Oh, to walk <laughs> to let Rick walk out. Uh, Hootie, as, as he play, as he played into uh, Hootie. <laughs> no, I. Uh, if no one has any questions, I. You know, God, it's it's. Thank you for. No, I've heard enough. <laughs> there you go. Now I'm gonna have to pay rights to Hootie. <laughs> now I have to cut a check to Hootie because he wound up on Wordle. Fantastic. Great. That's 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 the saddest check you'll ever. Yeah, it was six seconds. You can sample it. God, <laughs> just cut, take it. Cut to under a bridge somewhere where some where the, where the messenger finds Hootie. <laughs> Thank you for haunting me for these last fifteen years. I've been haunted more by Hootie than I have by the ten years of fear agent. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to buy a new can of stew. <laughs> no, uh, no, seriously, I'm I'm glad that fear agent has is finally you know the the public has caught up with it because it was a. It was a great book, and like I said, I'm glad that I was one of those you know kids that was hip to the indie band when nobody else was. And yeah, you, I, you we, know, yeah, you were among you and I fanboy. I think were the two that we yeah, and uh, yeah, and around comics. comics. Oh, and around that's right. I forgot. You know, yeah, and I even comics, think Comic Geek Speak I think was even mm-hmm. uh, part of that's the right. Yeah, I mean, the so yeah, this network was our uh, like our our hype machine cheerleaders. Well, like uh, when when no one else was paying attention, like those guys were out beating. This the is new. We like really this. Yeah, you should and, be reading and it. And we owe, we owe you guys a huge debt of gratitude. Oh. Oh. No, thanks for good. Hey, thanks for giving us something good to read, man. What are you talking about? That was fantastic. And really, I was, we were really sad when it went away for a little while, but I'm glad that, uh, that uh, you know, you got Mike Richardson is like, no, this is all right. And you guys found a way to keep it going, you know, intermittently, but, but managed to put it in your schedule. And, again, it ended up being 32 excellent issues. So thank you and continued success with the great work that you're currently doing and the works to come. And uh, we thank you for your uh, time and attention to that. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. Thanks, John. Continuing with more excellent coverage from Cincy Comic Con, I present a panel that went a lot longer than expected, but it's because there was a lot of great information being shared. Uh, this is a Create Your Own Comics panel, and uh, the people on it are just fantastic. Uh, Ryan Brown, the God Hates Astronauts creator, giving you a lot of great advice in terms of uh, where you are at this start. You might think you're ready to publish. Ryan will give you a good, honest sanity check in terms of what your audience size is, the costs at uh, making comics, uh, the idea of do you want to make floppies or do you want to go straight to a trade and uh, let your episodic uh, work just live on, on the web. Uh, great uh, conversation between him, uh, also uh, Jeremy Bastian from Curse Pirate Girl, and the two vets that have a ton of information to share as well, uh, Evan Dorkin and Sarah Dyer. Uh, Evan Dorkin, of course, of Milk and Cheese, a very outspoken creator who really it was my pleasure to meet him for the first time and, and really hear a lot of the stuff that uh, has been going on in his uh, long career firsthand. And uh, I really think that uh, really between the four of these creators, their own different experiences, you're getting a great collective here that provided a lot of excellent information that I think any creator will find valuable information. So, uh, you know, this is a panel. And as you could tell, even from the last uh, conversation, um, you know, it was Sunday or actually this one was Saturday, but still 
you know, they're off the floor, they're relaxed. I try to get them to talk in the microphone. There's a bit of an airiness in, uh, in, the, in the room, but you can hear everybody clear enough. But uh, a lot of times they're not dead on the microphone. So uh, I wanted to warn you about that as you listen. But it's an excellent uh, conversation. Have your notepads ready because you are going to get some valuable information from this uh, Create Your Own Comics panel from uh, Ryan Brown, Evan Dorkin, Sarah Dyer, and Jeremy Bastian. Here they are now on Word Balloon. Excellent. As you all file in, we will uh, we will begin. Welcome to the Independent Comics panel. Comics with an X. Sounds kind of skullduggery to me. My name is John Suntress. I host a podcast called Word Balloon. It's at wordballoon.com and at iTunes and Stitcher and all those places you can hear podcasts where I normally do one-on-one interviews with creators like we have on the panel today. And I'm, I'm thrilled at the opportunity that uh, we can all talk because I think it's a very interesting time in uh, independent comics, creator-owned comics, the comics market in general. And uh, I'm really curious because we have uh, creators that have only been doing it for a couple of years and we have uh, some great established veterans as well that can talk about the changes in the market and uh, how it's helped them and, and, uh, in these various changes. Can we get more uh, pirate coins, Kendall, if that's you back there? And if not, uh, I'm sure we will. But uh, anyway, all the way at the, the end of the panel there, uh, the creator of Curse Pirate Girl, uh, Jeremy Bastion, everybody. Excellent. And uh, we've, we've also got uh, the, the power couple here. Uh, we've got, uh, yes, uh, uh, creator, creator of uh, Milk and Cheese, Beast and Burden, many other great comics. It's Evan Dorkin. Also, uh, uh, the uh, creator of Action Girl, uh, Sarah Dyer. And uh, everybody, it's uh, the creator of God Haste Astronauts and Blast Furnace. It's uh, Chicago's own Ryan Brown, everybody. So I'm really excited to talk to you guys because, as I say, um, between crowdfunding and um, the opportunities that are there for self publishing, um, and, and really, I mean, things that started with online comics 15 years ago, or maybe a little bit earlier than that, to where we are today, I do think independent comics are at a really interesting point of establishing their own audience and, and not having to go through the traditional long-time uh, direct market chains and the like. And uh, I, I'm, I'm really interested, and, and really, uh, Evan in particular, as, as someone not to age us all, but, but as someone who's, who's been in the market and really experienced a lot of these, these sea changes over the years, um, could, you, could you go into a little bit of detail in terms of, like, from, was the 80s your first decade uh, of uh, doing your own thing as far as making comics and stuff? Did you just call me a hippie? <laughs> the 80s. And I thought you were a yuppie. I believe mine was the 80s. Yeah, that's true. Man. If I could like separate you from your weed, could you could you repeat it? I wasn't listening. I was drawing Batman. <laughs> Everybody has to draw Batman. <laughs> no, I was like, um, you know, the the eighties. As I and I, I'm fifty years old, and I remember the eighties quite well as being a time when it was really exciting. The black and white boom had really kind of hit the direct market. Yeah. So along with the really cool uh, things like Epic Illustrated that Marvel was putting out and some no. of the other things. That was that wasn't you. No. But no, I mean, so like, did you start in that era? Yes. 
Alright. <laughs> and I'll all right, I'll go Jack Webb on you. And then on that night of November sixteenth, did you 16th? touch it? Yes. Sixteenth? Uh, no. I don't know what I was doing on the sixteenth. Why are you asking me these things? <laughs> I listened to that show too. There you go. Exactly. Um, I'm fifty as well. Okay, cool. Uh, now there you go. We're but uh, I don't remember much in the eighties because I guess I drank more than <laughs> No, I, yes, I did start in the eighties. Uh, the black and white boom was exciting, but it was it was uh, you know best of times, worst of times created a lot of uh, speculation market at the same time that it opened up. Uh, I, I always joke that basically because of the Turtles books coming out. We got water for you if you need it. <coughs> Take your time, man. Yeah, no new glasses. <laughs> oh, wait, is that a... Uh, it's not, no, I mean, sorry. I could be drinking out of Dan Didio's glass here and oh, man. to a monster. So, and Ted, if I can trouble you, we'll get fresh glasses for the women. Oh. Uh, Oh, there you go. Good man, Ted. No, I'm sorry. Don't take it personally. I'm not, I don't drink Diet Pepsi. It's, the chemicals are better. Is it soft drinks? That's too soft. This one has a little bit of water. Okay. What do you need now? Just uh, fresh glasses. And pirate coin. Then we get them from uh, the, where they're, the concession. We can dancing girls. That's true. Cats. Uh, I, my first book was in '86. I got the. Uh, it was an opportunity because every anybody, basically anybody who could hold a pencil or type, got into the industry back then because you could fund your own book for about two grand or so. A lot of hucksters came into the industry. I worked for one of them. Uh, I, I penciled a book that a friend of mine who was. I worked at a comic store at the time, Jim Allen's University. It was a, uh, a full line store, which meant we carried more than Marvel and DC. Uh, at Archie, we carried mini comics, we carried um, the oddball books. And because the uh, prices on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number one went through the roof, people thought, hey, this is easy. We can print up anything, any kind of crap, and sell it. And they could. And oh, I saw all those turtle knockoffs, radioactive hamsters. Right, the preteen gerbils, and they yes, literally. They were bad, they were all, you know, and everything was a parody. I mean, Turtles was a, uh, a Ronin parody and Daredevil parody, and um, there were a lot of Dark Knight parodies coming out, and sure. the things just flew out the door. Nobody was reading them, they were just bagging them or boxing them up, um, so lots of people said, I've got $2,000, I could hire some people with fingers to draw and write a book, <laughs> and hundreds of people did, and uh, the first thing I did was called Figments, and it, I did a terrible job, and it sold 26,000 copies. Wow. Which uh, at the time was seen as as garbage, a failure. Yes. When when I did Fight Man for Marvel in 1993, everybody was so apologetic up there. Tom Falco and Faker, they were like, we're really sorry, but it only sold like 30 something thousand. We can't do another one. And I was like, oh, it's okay. You know, <laughs> you know, I came out of a thing where everything I did was selling like you know 4,000 copies, and you know, nobody cared. So that was amazing to me. You know, to see Bill and Ted's in a in a, in a, in a Wawa's once was like. Pretty cool. But yeah, what happened was everybody could get in if they had the money to self-publish or find somebody who would publish them. I worked for Amazing Comics, which was part of a bizarre octopus that grew out of, um, well, I can't remember this bastard's name, Scott, was it Scott? He's a horrible person. He ran a distributorship, ran people to the ground, and uh, then he starts a publishing company. So, you know, money starts flowing. Is that the Cowboy versus Aliens guy? Uh, I think it's the same guy. Yeah. yeah. He's amazing, Eternity, he Air Cell, and I believe um, that company ends up being bought by Marvel basically for their coloring. Well, not um, 
in oh, the 90s. Oh, was he cross-gen or, or? No, no, cross-gen was the cult in Florida where they all lived in Winnebago. Yes, and, yes. Uh, that's true. You weren't allowed to leave Delos. No, it's Malibu, right? Malibu. Yeah, okay. yeah, that's where that came out. And, and Scott Rosenberg. Yes, Scott wonderful, Rosenberg. Yes. Wonderful man. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. And he's an example of a lot of what was wrong with the business at the time. And I think still continues with, you know, variant cover, cover companies, but whatever. Yes, I came out of it in the 80s. It was an interesting time. It was very punk rock in a way because you were, everybody was cutting 45s, hoping to do get a deal with a major and get a CD out. Um, I was one of the people who was very happy doing 45s. Um, so that's a long answer to your question, so I asked somebody else. Whoa, but, uh, but uh, yeah, that's true, I am the oldest jerk here. <laughs> I am, so I didn't sell these books and make them. I was a dealer and a user. Okay, well, I'm, no, I'm interested in everybody's origin story. So, Sarah, well, my origin story is my parents had sex. <laughs> There's children. I didn't say the dirty bird. In a cabbage patch, kids, don't worry. Sorry, they may have. They had sex in a cabbage patch, is what they Stop harping on that. Because <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I'll punch me later. No, Sarah, honestly, yeah, you're 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 breaking the comics. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, very good. Yeah, how did how did you break in? What did you break in with? Um, well, I actually um came into comics kind of sideways. I was doing zines in the late '80s. Um, and in the early 80s, I started doing a review zine that reviewed other zines and mini comics. And um, a huge part of what I was getting was mini comics. And um, that I, I was getting so much stuff that was really, really interesting. And it wasn't making any impact on the industry at all. I mean, this was before we had any small press shows or mini comics. I mean, everyone was just kind of doing them. and getting reviews in the backs and trading them and they're like invisible to most people. So I decided to put together an anthology of work from many comics and that's why I started Actual Comics, which was just a collection of one to two or three page things. And the first couple issues, almost everything in there actually had run in a mini comic. It wasn't done for me. It was okay. literally stuff taken from many comics and just put together and put out there so that we could get this work into comic shops and and at conventions and stuff, because I mean, it was so different back then. You just you did not find mini comics anywhere unless you were reading, you know, Maximum Rock and Roll and looking through the classifieds. So, sure. um, and so that's how I got in. That was about ninety-five, ninety-six. Okay. Well, what was the name of your zine? Um, well, I did a bunch. Okay. <laughs> Actually, um, the most the most well-known zine that I was involved with was uh, No Idea in okay. Florida, which is still a going concern. It's a record label mostly now. Um, Interesting. Okay. Yes. Uh, we did records in the zine, um, and they stay run as a record label. I don't think there's been an actual zine published in quite some time. I mean, I haven't been involved in, in a very long time, but uh, that was the main thing that I had done. Um, I did, a, I worked with a couple other people on theirs, and then I did a zine of my own called Mad Planet, which is music, and it had comics in it. And um, from there, because I had started trading zines with um, the very few women and girls that were doing zines at the time, because the punk scene was very royal heavy. Sure. Um, and that was that was kind of how I started getting into the mini comic circles and trading my zine and mini comics with other people. Um, and then I did the Actual Newsletter, was the review zine that that Actual Comics grew at. So I was like, this whole progression. Um, 
And then after that, I started doing other comics as well, but it was that was how I came in, um, doing the mini comics compilations, and uh, that was all I did for several years until I started doing a little writing work. Very cool. No, very interesting. And uh, Jeremy, your story? Your story. <laughs> Um, well, uh, my story was that I always wanted to be in comics, and it was always an issue of how do I break into comics, and eventually that led me to, I should just do a comic, because that's probably the best way to show somebody what I can do in comics. And so I wrote a book and illustrated there, it was called Phantom Core, C-O-R-P, and it's a supernatural G.I. Joe kind of story with chicks with guns versus werewolves and zombies. And I did it in uh, charcoal pencil because I like to try different stuff. And I uh, was heavily influenced by tattoo, flash art, and that sort of a, a style. Uh, I just did the one issue. I wrote it as a three-issue little story arc. I did one issue. Nobody bought it. Nobody liked it. And I was like, yeah, maybe I should try something different. And then I had a friend who had a super successful book, and that was Mouse Guard. And I was like, oh, well, maybe I should widen my horizons and try something a little bit more all ages. And so I try to harken back to them, my days of being a kid, what I liked as a kid, and uh, that's where Curse Fire Girl came from. Absolutely. No, that's cool. And I, and I know that uh, you partnered up with a mutual friend of ours uh, from Chicago, Tom McGovin, in terms of publishing. Yeah, that was, um, that was really lucky. That was like in the stars aligned just right, and I was in the right place at the right time, and he pretty much acted as a patron, and he would basically give me a check every month and I was able to quit my part-time job and just work on my comic book. So don't think that really exists out there. Yeah, that's not really anybody's home problem. Yeah. Yeah. The good news was though, and I mean really as evidenced by what you have at your at your booth as well. I mean your stuff really Well it, know, it enabled me to really take my time on working on something. Yeah. Like I didn't have to make a deadline to, you know, make a paycheck kind of a thing. And so it's sort of been a bonus and a curse at the same time because now I'm just used to it and now it takes me like a week and a half a page. But um, I think I'm crafting something that's a little bit um, sort of unique. At least do it like an American crowd. Like in European comics, they're like fully painted and really ritzy and fancy and people take their time over there. Um, over here, it's a little bit more, you know, getting done, get it in. More commercial than art in the commercial art yeah. kind of phrase. Well, and I can appreciate that. You know, and, and I don't know if you've, you've everyone uh, show of hands aware of like Jeremy's kind of work and everything. If you've seen it, only a couple. Yeah, okay, yeah. about half the room. Honestly, like go down there. Well, I'm, I'm, and I'm going to embarrass Jeremy, but really go down and, and see his work because really this is it. Re it always reminds me of 19th century kind of and maybe even 18th century art, 17 and 1800s. Just beautiful illustrated illustrated stuff that isn't really traditional comics, and that can be said really of, of all of these creators and, and what they do. But Jeremy's stuff, and I can see somebody like Tom Nagovin, who had an art gallery as well, Century Guild, still does, it's in, it's in LA now. You know, I, I don't know, did he did he also offer to help sell your like original art? Because I can oh, yeah, see a lot of your that's pieces. That's what he's doing now, he's acting more as an art manager, and so okay. controls and keeping most of them, but selling some. Well, but that's the thing, I mean, so in lieu of, of his patronage, yeah, to really help Jeremy, you know, sell his original pieces, which literally, you know, would look beautiful on a, in a library, or a study, or, you know, a museum. I mean, it, it's that kind of museum quality illustration. No, I encourage you to go down to his table and, and check it out. And then we've got Ryan Brown. <laughs> No, you know I'm kidding. Hey, everyone. Uh, yeah. Hey, Ryan. Uh, how's it going? Uh, oh, great. 
Jeremy's work is awesome. Okay, we'll uh, talk about it. Uh, yeah, yeah let's, let me tell you about Jeremy's work uh, for a while. Do it. Uh, uh, anyways, uh, <laughs> Jeremy's work speaks for itself. I don't need to say anything. Uh, anyways, um, yeah, I grew up um, reading, uh, mainly reading like that indie uh, 80s comics kind of stuff um, that, that kind of formed my sensibilities in terms of um, doing comics that were actually fun and actually funny. Uh, and then as I got older and, um, you know, went to college and uh, comics, comics were so firmly ingrained in this, this serious tone and comics as movies and you take all the sound effects out of comics because they make them more movie-like, which doesn't make any sense because in comics, part of, the, part of the information of comics is sound effects so you can understand the story uh, and get rid of thought balloons. But of course, everyone still has speech balloons, so it still doesn't make any sense. It's not a movie. Anyways, um, but that's how comics were uh, when I was trying to break in, and so that's what type of stuff I was doing, uh, and nobody would hire me. Uh, and I struggled with it for years, and I, uh, did terrible work for uh, for Devil's Due Publishing on books like Voltron and, and G.I. Joe Storm Shadow, and it was all just really horrible. Um, I know, I know. I did it on purpose. I tanked on purpose. <laughs> I could have done even worse work on Scott Rosenberg. <laughs> I did. They had they hired me to draw this uh, uh, 48 page book uh, in one month um, in September, and it was a horror book they wanted out for Halloween. Uh, and I had a full-time job at, at, at the time, uh, and it was called Haunted Caves, and there were no caves in the entire book. Uh, it was about a haunted house, so it was very confusing. Uh, it was terrible. Uh, the only enjoyment I really had in it was uh, figuring out ways to draw Reginald Bell Johnson into the background. Uh, and uh, yeah, so that was a horrible experience. So basically, I'm looking for that comic. Oh man, it's awesome. They printed a thousand. That's it, they printed a thousand. Uh, oh, absolutely. I said you could come. Yeah, it was, yeah, haunted cave. So haunted, yeah, yeah. There's, there's no caves in it, but it's about a cave, apparently, that's haunted. Um, <laughs> it's a metaphor. Right. right. We're all trapped in our own personal haunted right. cave. Haunted basement was taken. <laughs> but Haunted Caves, not to harp on Haunted Caves, it's an amazing book, uh, but Haunted Caves was was a book that had the tagline, soon to be a major motion picture on the top of the comic book, uh, and it was uh, some screenplay writer had paid Devil's Due Publishing to produce this comic adaptation of his screenplay about a bunch of teenagers who get murdered in a haunted house, uh, not in a cave. Yeah, super great, right? Um, and... Uh, and the, the best part of it was that uh, this was at the end of Devil's Due Publishing, and uh, they never paid me. So I drew 48 pages in one month of non-haunted caves uh, for a book called Haunted Caves, uh, and then I never got paid. So my... That sounds just... Seriously, that's 80s. That's, oh, that's the 80s. Oh, it was, uh, it was, yeah. So my, my first couple years of, of doing professional work were, were pretty rough. Um, so I made the decision that uh, I wasn't going to draw comics for anyone else. I was going to draw them for myself, and I decided to be really selfish for a little while. Uh, and that's where I made the first issue of my book, God Hates Astronauts, 
which was to me like a, a harking back to like the late 80s, like the Tick and Milk and Cheese and, and Scud and books like that. Um, and then nobody wanted to read it. So I shelved that and then like three or four years later, uh, I started releasing it as a webcomic. And um, though I didn't really know much about webcomics or didn't really read many, it was just this way of getting my work out there and getting eyeballs on it um, without costing me much. Um, and it was like easy for people to share it. Uh, and so then I started figuring out this idea of uh, giving away my comics for free on the web and building an audience for it. And then later when I collect them, uh, I will have a built-in fan base that will want to buy the book. So then I started doing Kickstarters for, um, for God Hates Astronauts and a different book I did called Blast Furnace. Uh, they were just web comics that I put together, and those did, did well enough that all the companies that um, had rejected God Hates Astronauts all wanted God Hates Astronauts because I had, uh, through crowdfunding and Kickstarter, I had kind of proved that I actually had an audience and a saleable idea uh, for a comic book. Um, so then that's why last year Image picked it up, and I did a 10 issue run at Image. Um, of God Hates Astronauts, and then I ended that, and now I'm back to doing Kickstarter again, um, and then shorts for Marvel and DC, and little things here and there, so, I mean, it's just, it's a very strange thing for me to work so hard to get Marvel and DC work, it doesn't work at all, and then I just decide to do things exactly for myself, and do exactly what I want to do, and do like a direct connection to my audience, and then now the companies that didn't want my work before, now they all want it. Uh, I, yeah, I know. I being from your town and us being friends, I've been aware of your story, and I think it is interesting, and especially in this current environment where crowdfunding is becoming a legitimate uh, option for some creators. And it's also interesting because uh, right now, Image Comics is getting a lot of buzz because there are a lot of established creators and non-established creators that are that are putting out interesting books, and some people might only see. The Robert Kirkmans, the Ed Brubakers, uh, the Matt Fractions, and Kelly Studio Comics that are succeeding with Image and, and and doing really well. And Ryan, after ten issues of Image, is is back to create her own. And I'm, I'm just curious in terms of what went behind the decision. Um, finances. A lot of it is finances. Uh, the big thing, Image Comics is is a fantastic way to get your work out there. Don't they have a two-tiered system, kind of, though? I mean, it's if you've done the Marvel runs and whatnot. Right, exactly. Some, some, people, can get, some people can get advances, other people can't. Um, and with, with, with Image Comics, um, for me, it was just like a, a fancier self-publishing. Because I, would, I didn't, they had no idea what I was going to do in any issue of God Hates Astronauts. They had no input whatsoever. It was just turn your books in on time, and that's what I did, which is amazing because I got to do exactly what I wanted to do. Uh, but also, I had no idea if it worked or not because I was just making them entirely by myself. Uh, so I did a lot of uh, kind of risky things with the story, um, and no one complained. So I, I guess it worked. I mean, that's the thing in comics: you work so hard on this this joke or this gag, and then the book comes out, and you have no idea if the joke hit or not because you don't. You're not standing there watching a person read your, read your comic. Um, so with Image, you get paid two months after the issue hits the stands. That's how it works. It's back-end uh, back money. 
And so, like with God Hates Astronauts, I think I worked for eight months on the book before I got paid anything. Wow. Um, you know, because you have to have a certain amount of issues done before they will solicit it. And That's worse than on the case. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but then the money keeps coming in after you're moved oh, on to another project. Hey. You get paid. Oh, that's that's better than Haunted Caves. Caves. It's so much better than Haunted Caves. Uh, I got a check for $100 last year for Haunted Caves. Devil's Due is slowly paying back everybody $100 a year. Well, that's, that's really good to hear. Honest. So Truly, in 20 years, in 20 years, I will have all the cave money. I will have, oh yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy a cave with it. I'm gonna buy something the hell out of that cave. Hi, uh, like in the audience, are there a lot of uh, creator, aspiring creators in the audience and stuff? Okay, like seriously, I want you to line up and ask questions because this is a great opportunity for people that are, you know, maybe maybe just a couple laps ahead of you on the track of your career, and, and it's really interesting to hear these kind of real experiences because all we hear are the great success stories of Image and how they're beating DC and Marvel with these books, but again, as Evan pointed out, kind of a two-tier system. And it's always good to hear uh, from a more working class creator like Ryan. Wait, 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 what, are you, what, what, what am I? Uh, I'm not Alden. Banachek or something? You are Banachek. You are George Papara uh, in 1972. Oh, we sit here with hard hats and work on these books no. and go to unions and get beat up by the scabs. You are, yes, uh, Terry, I forget, from. Uh, from uh, what was On the waterfront. Skaggs? Skaggs, the name of that. Uh, Carl Malden series yeah. that nobody watched? You want to talk about Yes, that? yeah, that's awesome. He got less money than caves to do. Oh, Evan, we're going we're gonna to have a blast when we do our solo word balloon, man. Oh, we're going to talk about failed 70s and 80s TV. You're killing me. Yeah. No, but honestly, I want, well, that's what I, but that's what I mean. I think there are a lot of avenues that are open, but also, like, there's no guarantees. And we all know that in the abstract, that there are no guaranteed successes here. But no, I think the real stories of... There's no successes here. <laughs> well, but it's interesting because and I, this has kind of been the ongoing conversation this weekend and really in recent work balloons because DC and Marvel, DC just started and rebooted half of their line with a bunch of new titles. Marvel is about to do the same in October. And I do think there's a new normal in the comics market as evidenced by some creators who, because they are their own nation, can have a success, or just as Evan was saying earlier about, oh, sorry, you know, you only sold 30,000 copies, which was a failure back in the 80s. Certainly now for an individual creator, that's a success, but a more important number would be, say, something like 10,000 to an image creator is enough to earn a, a decent middle-class living. DC and Marvel are considering canceling books that are at 17,000. And that's really the new normal. This should have been the new normal a long time ago. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. They, they destroyed, the, like, I don't want to get into this conversation, but they destroyed their mid list. I mean, willingly destroyed all their mid list. I kind of was hoping we get into this conversation, but I well, that's, that. But then, you know, why, why give Marvel and DC more? Why talk more about them? It's not like, well, but more in terms of resources isn't talking. Oh, no, no, no. But, but more importantly, we all have life. But how it impacts how it impacts you guys in, in a positive it way. It doesn't anymore because frankly, really? we don't give a crap anymore. No, 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 and not in terms of having to work for them or anything like that, but I'm saying That's in terms right. of Yeah, we don't have to work for them anymore. Right. And no, but my point is I'm gonna and, kick your ass. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. There we go. This is great. No, the thing is you don't have to deal with no you don't. There's two markets. I've said this I was, if if you want to 
there's, there used to be two markets. There was the mainstream market and the alternative market. Right. Market. So now there's, there's the direct market and the rest of the world. Fair enough. Yes, so please go is, on. But Marlon DC, when you talk to most store owners, they have never heard of Raina Telgemeier. She sells millions of books through Scholastic. Yeah. They are comic books. Yep. And didn't she just have yeah, on the New York Times. Although the New York, supposedly the New York Times doesn't mean anything uh, if you're. A well, that's a, an honestly show of hands. I mean, this is this is what I'm talking about. Like, is everyone hip to this like new normal and everything? And that there are these kinds of. I mean, new normal. Jeff, Jeff Smith and Bone is a lot of new normals. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of abnormals if you go. Up to these <laughs> but I mean, the fact is, it, it, you can't ever say this is. I, I don't want to say there's one path because there's a absolutely right now. Absolutely, and that's what I mean, truly it used to be. You had to live in New York. You had to hang out with people from Marvel, Archie, uh, or, or DC. Right. And but it was more social. You could go up to the offices. I used to do that in the '80s, and you could go up there and get thrown out by Bob Greenberger. I'm not saying that happened to me. But uh, but it was quite. You could get to, you could go to lunch, crack a joke about Fight Man to Kevin McGuire, and end up with a Fight Man book. And that is that is pretty much where that all came from. Okay. And you the thing is, work creates work. I got I got uh, Bill and Ted from Marvel. Uh, I wanted to be a Marvel artist growing up. I wanted to do an occasional Spider-Man film, and I thought that's all. By thirty, that's all I could get. The reason I didn't know any better than that is because that information wasn't out there. I, I never thought I'd be a superstar just like John Romita, so I just settled for I'd be the guy doing the eight-page well, backlash guy. So whatever, that all died out. That normal disappeared. Anthologies and backup stories are, are no longer here. But the newsstands died out. So that's a new normal that disappeared. Bookstores are starting to fail. Borders to flood. Blah blah blah. I did a book called Pirate Core. Core is a really bad wow. name. How many people say corpse? Do you, did, did you have the S at the end? No. Oh, you see, I put the S at the end. I put a period in the Oh, no, I had, that's right. I had a dollar sign. I had a dollar sign, so everybody's a corpse, so I changed the name. It was driving me nuts. But I got that book because the first thing I did got ripped off on. Uh, we got paid, but we didn't know we were getting paid. Not on 26,000 copies. They also drew all over my original art and blue pencil the production department, which was probably one guy with a Mickey's big mouth, you know? <laughs> but they actually drew all over my artwork in blue pencil and mailed it back to they cross, They played tic-tac-toe on the goddamn artwork, which shows you what a great beginning this is. But my dog peed on the first cover, and I didn't tell him that, so that's good. <laughs> I know, it sounds like indie wrestling early guys. It's like, you know, piss and piss and, but the thing is, uh, yeah, we didn't get our money, and the guy, uh, Dave Olbridge, he, it was a Dave Olbridge. Is that the guy? Oh, no, I don't want to get the wrong person. No, it was not Dave Olbridge. It's uh, the Glass Houses guy. Uh, oh. Uh, but he, we, he, they ripped us off and treated us like crap. Um, but people that uh, edited that book started their own company because they said, hey, we can do this better. Uh, they had seen my, my sketches for a book called Pirate Boat, which is this punk rock, ska, romantic angle, super science fiction dumb thing. And in 1988, I was at a dinner with the guys from Jim Haley's Universe with Jim. He brought us out there. I couldn't afford to go on my own. My comic was canceled. In San Diego. In San Diego. Sorry. Thank you, sweetie. And, um, Fabian DeCiesa was in the marketing department. And we were all cutting up, and I got pretty drunk, and apparently I acted like a goof. And I was wearing t-shirts, and he knew about Pirate Court. He said, when he hired me for Bill and Ted's, he said, basically, he didn't say, nobody wanted this book, because I knew that. From the, it was a, a pre-canceled book. You know, it's one of those, we know this isn't going anywhere. It was, it was Heathcliff and Kid and Play, Bill and Ted. And uh, he said, you like bands nobody's ever heard of. And you know, you make jokes. That's what we need for this book. And that was it. Like, like when I was saying, 
Um, nobody knows what you can do until they see something in print, and then nobody believes in you until they see you sell something. So since this was a book that nobody gave a crap about, you know, Brian could have gotten this job. Freedom. <laughs> done it. No, you know what I'm saying? It, it, it was a, and they, let, they let me run with it because they didn't care. Uh, so Bill and Ted led to some other things. Now, nowadays, like Ryan was saying, that reminded me of uh, the situation that happened with Yogi Abigail, which friends of, uh, were friendly with one of the creators. And we worked on that show. Sarah and I wrote yes. four episodes and did a lot of design. They were famously rejected by everyone. Nickel, everybody rejected them until they put it up on YouTube. They, I think they mortgaged the house or something crazy. They made a pilot, which is what Ryan did. And they put it up there and everyone went nuts for it. And all of a sudden, there was a feeling frenzy because nobody likes to make decisions. Yeah. at these companies, even though it's not their money, uh, and even though they make 18 out of 20 bad decisions a month, nobody will make a decision on a new person. Yep. Yeah. But again, when you do an indie book that people like, all of a sudden you're a commodity and you stay, they, they say, hey, you should do Squirrel Girl and, and, and Howard the Duck and stuff. And you've been around 12, 15 years. Exactly. Well, that's the thing. You guys, you, you guys and women, you, women you, you have cultivated your audience and, and, and created yourself. And, and reach this point on your own. I mean, and I think that's amazing. And also, as as Evan was kind of saying, the you know, growing up, that the the destination was DC and Marvel. That's that's where that was the the top of the mountain. And it's not a, it's not anymore. And now it's a midpoint for some if they want. But again, it's not necessary. And the good news is there are, as you said, a hundred different ways of of making it now. And and I think that's really necessary to hear and also understand. And again, it's it's your own talent and the ability to here's, gather a crowd. One thing I want to point out though, please, is, uh, with Image, and this is not a knock on Image, I mean, this is the way Image operates. Uh, although Eric's, is it Eric Stevenson? Is that the, Eric Stevenson. He made a big speech about how you don't need Marvel, the, oh, you know, how they're kicking, I forget what it was, but it was a little obnoxious because the fact is, except for guys like Kirkman, and I think the two guys who do Chew, all those guys were cultivated by Marvel. Absolutely. And he acted as if they came out of nowhere and they made them stars. Uh, the, the, the independent stuff is like AAA ball, but uh, Image is almost like, you know, they made a new league of people who succeeded in, in pro football or whatever. You had to have been known to, to become most of those guys. I mean, Scott Snyder is the Batman guy. That's why he's... And now Image has a, self capa a selling capability that won't last forever, but it's an right. amazing period right now right. where if Ed Brubaker goes over, if Matt goes over, if Kelly goes over, they cut their teeth on Hawkeye, X-Men. So I, people shouldn't think you just walk into a, you know, Walking Dead just came out of you know, circumstances. Chew came out of circumstances. You know, like, well, I'm going to rise this year or more. Marvel and DC isn't, a lot of people see, want to do image now, but you've mostly got to go through Marvel and DC to get there, yeah. or be a film yeah. director. Yeah, you're, or you're a wrestler. You basically do. I mean, the, a lot of people I know who work for Marvel and DC, they're building up their audience so they can go do what they want to do and do exactly. their own thing. It's a career midpoint. Yeah, I mean, there are always, I mean, if, if all the top talent leaves to do creator own stuff, there's always people that, that will, you know, they, they can fill a role drawing Batman and Spider Man. Yeah, exactly. Well, that even happened, am I right? That even happened as you were breaking into Marvel in that late 80s, early 90s period, because I know there were a lot of creators that were asking for higher page rates. And it was like, uh, that's fine, good luck with that. Meanwhile, we're going to deal with the college seniors that are coming well, out and have to work for a this is, this is Well, this is what's Tell happening with lower tier publishers uh, right, some, now. right now. Okay. And in fact, it's worse. 
because it's it's just like independent wrestling in that uh, people are really really busting their humps on this stuff. Sorry, I know you hate when I say that stupid phrase. But <laughs> I was offered a page rate. I tweeted. A, I did some. T I was tweeting up a little rant about how I was offered a page rate to work on a book a few months ago that was only five dollars more than I was getting paid to write a bad-selling independent book in 1980. Eight, called Wild Nights from one of these crazy companies. And um, I'm somebody who's been doing this for over 20 something years full time since 91. Uh, I, I, this is not bragging, this is just what I'm telling you. Uh, I've worked for magazines like Esquire, Sarah and I are in Mad uh, yes. constantly. We have like 25 television show uh, yes. credits, but we don't have that Batman run or anything like that. The direct market doesn't give a crap. And this company is perfectly fine to ask you. And they bumped it to, to a little bit more, but it was still uh, ridiculous. It was, it was 1990 money, and that was money from an independent. Marvel paid me just about the same to do Bill and Ted's back in 91. Um, but there's a weird, here's a new normal. Um, the kids want to work on, the younger people want to work on these books, just not just to get into the industry, but because they're fans of this character or that character. I mean, people will jump at the chance to work on some John Carpenter uh, movie from 1986 version, and how much? Would, how much is the page rate? We don't have a page rate. We, 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 we mail you dog food, and we laugh at you on Instagram. I'll do it. And of course, the book that I turned down, and I told them up front, and I had worked with this company on other things, but I was like, you know the situation. I can't do that. And uh, this is the kind of thing where, as a kid, I mean, I I worked for crazy money, terrible money. You did. I mean, you got haunted. Yeah, you found somebody who luckily was, you know, shared your vision. I mean, it, you can go broke trying to get to that space, which is why keep you know, own as much as what you're doing. Don't sell anything. That's really the best thing. That's one of the things I'd like to say. But yeah, there's, you, you there's, still have to go to get the image. You still have to. Marvel and Batman and Spider-Man promotes those people. Yeah, I mean, that, I haven't really done much Marvel DC work and. Um, I find that with Image, the people that you have to really uh, uh, you know, appeal to to get your book to survive is the people that own stores. Because they, they determine uh, how many they're going to order, and however many are ordered, that they print to whatever is ordered, right? So the idea of an Image book selling out means that stores didn't order enough to meet what the demand is. So selling out is actually a bad thing. Um, and so what you need is you need to be able because like so my first issue sold out right and so your first image issue yeah of god it sold out in fact all 10 of my issues sold out uh which means they weren't uh printing enough and they weren't pre-ordering enough uh, and so when my issue one sells out and then you get a reprint of issue one with a different cover um, there's going to be a lot of people that have the instinct to get your number one. It's not there, and then you know a month later, number two's there, but the reprint maybe isn't out for issue one, and they're not going to start on issue two. So then they'll just wait for the trade. And if those people aren't buying single issues, then they're not um, providing me like finances to keep going with the book because the trade money you get so 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 much later. Um, so like. This like leads into an, another reason why I'm just I just went back to doing a book through Kickstarter uh, because it's it's tough to spend all this time to try and promote yourself. I'm trying to promote myself 
to people that own comic shops and do ordering in comic shops, and you know maybe half of those shops only get Marvel and DC, or only get image books that are, are being written by you know Scott Snyder or Jonathan Hickman or names they know from Avengers and Batman. Um, so it's there's like this weird kind of middle lower class image book which doesn't say anything about the quality of the book, it's just about the awareness of the book. And people still consistently, even with the image eye on the, on, on the cover, consistently tell me they've never heard of my book. And a lot of it is because I have to appeal to the store owners. And the store owners, there are a lot of great stores that are really hip to it and read everything and, and recommend cool stuff. But then there are a lot of stores that are just Marvel DC. Yes. And to get your image book into those stores and get ordered enough, you, you kind of have to do that Marvel and DC work before you can do that image work, which is like a really... Uh, it like, still doesn't work either. Yeah, it, it still doesn't, doesn't work. The books, first of all, we're in a glut, so that, that's, that's yes, all, yeah. oh, that's absolutely. absolutely normal. Uh, images, uh, pages in previews just keeps growing and growing, yep. and they don't even have any information on some of these books. Yeah, of course. And there's also a lot of men and women who are writing like eight books between all the companies, and Stores still don't, you know, this is why I said there's a direct market and there's the real world. I mean, there are some books that are doing amazingly well. People don't know how that Sonic sells, outsells a ton of, of books. Uh, they don't want to hear about that. You know, that Mad is still DC's really best-selling comics, but that's not, it doesn't, that's not the stuff that matters to stores. Uh, DC and Marvel have pushed the what matters button even farther, and so now that people don't even think their own mid-list matters. So that's why they're relaunching all these all these characters like Martian Manhunter or I don't know, whoever the hell they do it now. Greenland are constantly getting new books because they those are books that always sold decently, and now they just they can't sell twenty thousand copies of what the Flash or whatever unless there's a stunt. Uh, when all you've done is made said that the only things that matter are Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, Avengers, whatever movies coming out and whatever crossover, that means everything. All characters that used to do okay. Uh, die on the vine, and you have to keep relaunching them. Uh, store owners, are, it's, I, I don't get along with my store owners' philosophy because they, they act like if they're not a fan of it themselves, they won't carry it, even if there are people yeah. in their store who like that sort of thing. It's too much work. You know, they're dealing with one catalog and complaining. I remember when Sarah and I first started, when she, we started working together and she moved in, she couldn't believe that they were store owners constantly complaining the buyers got in places that they had to work with two or three catalogs. What would what, you say you dress ship when you work in a store? I yeah. To, yeah, I worked at a clothing store in college, and we must have ordered from 50 companies, sure. maybe more. Sure. And yeah, I couldn't believe everyone was upset that they had two catalogs sorted from us. Right. The genesis, the genesis of the direct market was for people who love comics to be able to do this kind of for a living without writing a drawing and share the love for this uh, industry and fandom. But they only liked the comics that were coming out in the 70s and then later the 80s. And been really hard to get you know people interested in stuff the store owner isn't interested in. I've always said if you went to a, a supermarket and you said I'd like some coffee, I'd like to, how, where's the coffee? The guy's I don't drink that crap. <laughs> you know, and I go, well you go okay, uh, I want some. I don't care. You know, nobody asked. Nobody asked for it. That's another big one. I had it once. It sold out. Uh, I was afraid to get any more. Right. But you, but with coffee, you can go get it down the street. If you go into the average comic book shop and say. I like, you know, there's stores not carrying saga, there's stores that, you know, stuff that's getting a buzz. They're like, I'm not into that, you know, I don't have it. You can't go anywhere, they don't cater in town like the Flintstones. <laughs> but that's why Amazon, and that's why a lot of retailers are terrified of Amazon and sure. uh, uh, digital, uh, because 
You don't have to deal with a bad store. It's fun to go to a good store. Sometimes it's fun to go to a bad store. People are sick of it. A lot of people are tired of it. You just get that book. Beyond beyond comicsology, when we speak of digital, um, are you are there other channels that you got? I mean, again, I, I want to talk to the two of you in particular because I don't well, no, Sarah, honestly, you've been you've been very quiet. I want to I want to involve you and, and get your thoughts on and a lot. And Jeremy, yeah, and Jeremy as well. Well, Jeremy, well, I know, Jeremy's talked a little bit more than you and I. And I no, I'm just interested in terms of these alternates to the direct market and stuff. It seems like yes, a lot of the major publishers, the major proper book publishers are interested in comics and the comic form and putting out books for, you know, like through Scholastic and, and programs like that. I know the YA, the young adult audience is very thriving and things like that. But yeah, so how receptive are those publishers to, to you know, what you're doing and everything? And well, I'm really not sure. Um, I mean, like, I, if anyone here has a kid in school, the Scholastic catalog is like half comics sometimes that, that they get every, every month. Um, a, a lot of those kind of avenues, I think, aren't super friendly to the more independent stuff. It really, it needs to be kind of proven, or a lot of those people okay. are coming out of children's books. Right, um, okay. They're established in some other way. You know, Raina did the Babysitter's Club, um, and that did really well before they started letting her do her own work. So okay. again, you're not just going to be able to do your own thing, and Scholastic's is going to put you in there, you know, whatever the name of your kid's catalog is. Um, but there's there's a lot of other avenues, digital, um, the web. Um, I think uh, I was in Boston talking to a, a friend of mine who's a technology writer, and we were talking about digital comics because that's a totally safe space for anybody. If you don't have a comic shop you feel comfortable in, the internet doesn't know what you look like. They don't they know nothing about you. You just go on. There's lots of places already that you can get comics delivered. Um, I think that's a real future. Um, it's kind of still working out because if you're right. on the web, you have to make your money somewhere else. You know, web comics, you're going to have to collect it. You're going to have to sell merchandise. Right. Um, right. Some apps cost money, some don't. I think that's kind of all going to work itself out. Um, but I think that's going to be a really important place for comics in the future. For Action Girl, are you are you doing a lot of merch or anything like that? Or I mean, you know, I mean, first of all, like obviously, I mean that's what I mean, like the title and the and the character itself. Well, I don't, I don't actually do Action Girl anymore. Oh, okay. I, I stopped doing that um, a while ago. Oh. Um, that just being an editor is just too much work. Okay. Um, and uh, but uh, we are actually doing work with a digital publisher, um, and uh, I, I'm really excited about that because. It's something that you don't have to think about comics. You don't have to think about the dime catalog. You don't have to worry about the industry. It's something that will be delivered to people's devices, and they can find out about it, you know, through iTunes or the Google Play Store or whatever. And you can just kind of go around this whole sure. thing. You know, people that don't know anything about Marvel and DC rebooting for the 500th time can find out that there's all these cool comics that they can get on their phone or tablet. Um, I actually can't really talk about it. But I looked at some of the other people doing it, and I really, I really think this is something that a lot of the more, um, you know, independent and creative-controlled stuff. I think it's where you're going to see a lot of it because it's going to be a way to do it and actually make a living at it, and just not deal with the industry as it is now. 
I'm sorry too, I, I heard, and you, you two coming from Brooklyn, and also it's a, a place I think where both Ryan and Jeremy also, their work would be welcome, uh, Bergen Street Commons yeah, in Brooklyn, just uh, We're from Staten Island, but oh, excuse me, it's like phony Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah. We're where everyone who can't where Brooklyn is now. I, I'm, all right. <laughs> I well, here's that. the thing: when a store like that goes down, everybody it, it's a shutter. It's a big deal. You know, I mean, I know the stores that sold my stuff since day one. I think you know, if you give me a list of stores, I go, yeah, Graham, Quimby's in Chicago, or uh, you know, uh, yeah, I. You know, there's only. 10 to 30 percent of the retailers, but the thing is, the retailers. I still love going to comic stores. And a lot of people do. Sure. It's like it's like you can drink at home, or you can go right. drink at bars with people, and right. it's less, there's less fights at home, maybe. <laughs> but the thing, here's the thing: uh, Amazon, Amazon, yeah, they suck. They're evil. They run these little concentration camps for people who yeah, oh, yeah, so enjoy true. being run into the ground. I really want to do a milk and cheese strip with. They go to Amazon, but um, <laughs> yes. and work them harder. You know, but um, Amazon doesn't know us, the four of us. They don't give a crap about the four of us. They don't know Scott Snyder necessarily. They don't know. They know Robert Kirkman because, it, but they're not fans of comics. They're fans of selling crap. Right. Now, right. as evil as they are, it's amazing to not have to be able to explain who you are, what your book is, where you came from. Why should I bother? It's on Amazon. There's pictures. There's reviews. There's people even fighting about it, just like at a convention underneath it, calling people names. And, but you can find more out about it than you can going into any comic store, but because they generally don't carry anything of yours. So it's nice to know that there is some place that people know. Beast of Bird Volume 1, it's been out five years, it's just gone into a sixth printing. How many Eisers? I have I don't know. Okay, because I know, because I see Jill all the time, and it's, you know. Yeah, we'll tell her to finish her book. <laughs> Sorry, I just blurted it out. Sorry. Honest to God, I just blurted it out. So. You could at least not sure. Don't worry. Um, and uh, but here's the thing: um, I don't think we would have moved six printings through comics. There was no way. We did not sell ten thousand copies of the first issue, and it was on the cover of previews. And this was a book that had been coming out in stories. Mike Mangola gave it a seal of approval. Uh, we had a, an Eisner by then. Jill sells sells books. I sell some books. Couldn't break ten thousand. Dogs and cats. Because who the hell sells dogs and cats? I don't know, the freaking world? Yeah, that's right. Well, that's what I want to know. not see dogs and cats in a bookstore or in an airport shop or a newsstand or some ugly calendar, do things up. You know, who's clicking on things? Dogs and cats fighting monsters. I'm not saying it's genius. I'm saying we can sell it. Sure. Well, so what do you, so what do, you do when you have something like that? The truth is, you know, we talk about the mainstream. And in comic conventions, the mainstream means Spider-Man, Wolverine, and all that shit. The reality is the mainstream is the real world, as you said. Exactly. exactly. Here's the worst so thing what do you do when you've got something like this, where you've got a marketable commodity? I, I cry to sleep. I try to slash my wristlet. Why are you wearing a long coat? <laughs> but I, but I, up. No, what I did is I banged my head. I've been doing this. I'm 50. I've been doing this since I'm like 24 or something full time. I give up as far as I mean. I still talk about it online. I still get into it with people because I don't like seeing newer cartoonists ripping. You know, I, if you look at my Twitter, you'll see what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Uh, but it's the kind of thing that I'm more interested in talking about these days because I realize DC and Marvel never really paid my bills except oh, yeah. for one year. I don't have a problem per se with Marvel DC. Yeah. I've gotten over the whole oh they they. I would still work with them uh, if certain people were not there anymore, things like that. But uh, the fact is, there's so many opportunities, and there's so many people now who grow up not knowing these jokes that I'm making. They don't know anything about the metal men or whatever. 
there are men and women that are coming into this industry and they just want to make comics because they, they know comics. And they're seeing them on the web, they're seeing manga, they don't want to fight about previews or any of this crap. Right? Absolutely. And I'm not, that's not even knocking them, it's a broken system. Because sure. It came out of In this industry, Godzilla is independent and Raina Telgemeier working with Scholastic selling millions of books is going to the Small Press Expo. Yep. As a guest. Yep. You know what I'm saying? That, I do. You know, it's a joke, but that's the but that's that's a weird. And Godzilla doesn't even sell. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, no, it's, I just, it's what they're a fan of. But you know, but that's and that's breaking down. But Jeremy, like even for Curse Pirate Girl and stuff. I mean, that's the thing. Like, there's obviously a pirate culture out there. How aware of that of the pirate culture is aware of, of your book? Um, probably nobody. Sure. I, uh, I the first the first Noli Dragon Con I ever attended. I was on two panels, and one was on um, I don't know. It turned into a forum on uh, vinyl toys, of which I was the only panel member that did not have a vinyl toy made of their art. Wow! And the oh. second one was a pirate panel, and it was me and a whole bunch of professional pirates. Uh, you know, you go to <laughs> professional pirates. <laughs> Yar. And uh, my card. And the whole thing is.
they're the ones who are getting these books in front of kids who might go to Amazon or to a comic shop and look for more. And in the first line of defense, yeah. whenever a First Super. Amendment, you know, like, you know, you know comes up badges? You know, the professional goddamn pirates. <laughs> that they get the badges. Yar! Right? We beat the librarians. No, it's true. The, li the libraries, they've seen incredible growth uh, at libraries, and I think. Is it Barnes and Nobles just extended their sections, their comic sections? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I'll tell you, we see a lot, all kinds of comics at our, at, our, uh, at our local branch, and they are not only get they extend, they expanded. They do have more Marvel and DC stuff right now, uh, but that stuff is always being checked out. I check it every Tuesday because I take out books there because there's too, there's so many good books. That's the funny thing. It's between reprints and new stuff. This is a golden age for material. Agreed. It's it's a still a crazy age for. I mean, it's like, how do you promote? You have, you have to make these books, and then you're supposed to promote these books yourselves. Right. Even when you're with a publisher like Image or Dark Horse or, 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 or these places, even at the best smaller place, even at Marvel and DC, even at Marvel, I was about you to can say see why thing. everybody's taking their own books to the table. I mean, because well, it's very hard. And further, at Marvel and DC, well, I, I have to say my own uh, situation, Marvel is great to me. DC is a minefield to get a DC creator on, and it's like all I'm trying to do is promote your books to the thousands of people who listen to my podcast. DC is a minefield for a lot of people. Uh, I'm all over there. We can sir. do a panel on that one. No kids oh, allowed. Why? Well, there's been a couple hundred DC of my podcasts. DC, if you were you're older, DC used to be the place that you went to when you were an independent person. Everybody at this table would have been in bizarre, you know, in bizarro comics or doing goofy stuff like that. Sure, they were the very apologies. friendly. Very friendly. Uh, back in the day, uh, in the '90s and aughts, to a degree, they wanted. They Marvel was the place where if you did a story for Marvel, they wouldn't put your uh, books in in the bio. They were so paranoid that people. This is how you know strange comics is. I hear you. But if they put milk and cheese or something, everybody was going to go. I'm not. Oh, I'm going to run and buy that. I'm not going to buy uh, Spider-Man Avengers now. Yeah. And DC, if you look at books like older, older anthology and stuff. They would load up on your credits. Paradise Press, all those right. big book of lies and all and that stuff. Vertigo and Paradox yes. and even the regular line yes. was drawing in. It didn't always work out. Gilbert Hernandez was doing Birds of Prey. Uh, right. Who's the new CEO? Like Dylan Harks was doing some work. They, uh, it's like, I used to say DC was the company that liked comics. Uh, they were, that you go up, when we would go up, the, the art directors all had Barks and Tintin. Everybody sure. knew sure. all sorts of comics. It's, Really turned into a, a, a fan club now where jokes aren't allowed unless they involve you know tearing somebody's head off that isn't a kids cartoon or bathroom. No, I understand. But, the, but now Marvel seems to have become a place where they are interested in going into Artist Alley or looking at independent work and going this style would be very interesting for this book. And DC seems a close shop for that now. They are just not interested in, in oddball just, art styles. Well, but then there is like the Gustavo Duarte's that are that are doing Bizarro right now for DC. So did like, you just, I have to see. just curse us out? In I finish. did, and I even like threw some phlegm in there to really make it sharp. I felt it. So, but but no, like because I, I agree with you. No, for years, especially very recently, it was a place to kind of get some money. Well, but also like, DC was like. Uh, the last couple of years, there was a very much a house style that followed a Jim Lee template and, and things like that. But I do think that a lot of their newer books, like the re-release of Prez and Bizarro and things like that, yeah. where they are getting a bit more experimental. And uh, I agree with you for with Marvel, that Marvel's it, been more experimental. It's like DC is following Archie's steps up. For DC to be following Archie, 
on trying to get that's, yeah, that's, that's a good RG is, it is RG is the most predatory company right now. That's certainly changed crazy. The direct market hated RG. Now that's a whole discussion. That was a place where nobody wanted to talk about RG. They're kids' books. Yep. Okay? Yep. They, we don't see them in the stores. They don't get ordered in the stores. Yep. When I worked in the store, we put them right in the front. They sold like crazy. Absolutely. Well, I mean, the supermarkets, there's... But now the direct market loves them because they're getting Batman people and, and uh, Saga people to work yeah, on them. And yeah. Mark Wade, and they're having, you know, we're fighting yeah, cancer, yeah. we're fighting prejudice. Hey, you know, anything that sells more comics keeps stores open. The competition is tough, though. You're supposed to get through this. The variant covers get much, a variant cover for one comic gets more press than the four of us will get five years. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I, I truly, guys. I mean, this this kind of reality is what I was hoping to get to because I really well, think that aspiring creators here's the thing need to know what's going on. If you're, one, if you're a creator, is there anybody here who wants to go work at Marvel and DC? And I'm not knocking that. It's not, I want to tell you something. Or you want to do your own stuff mostly, right? Here's the thing: learn to do things other than comics. Learn to do as many things in comics as you can. Because if, if all you want to do is comics, it, it, there's a limited, even with the web, you know what I mean? You're going to have to do something to make money. And it used to be that everybody did graphics, or they did pay stuff, or they, you know, I mean, Sarah comes out of working in newspapers. And I, I'm lucky I never could do any of that stuff. You know, I worked in a punk rock club, and I worked in a comic shop. If I had to stop doing comics, I don't, I have no, there's nothing for me to do. I am of no use to society. But over time, we write for TV sometimes. We do magazine illustrations once in a blue moon. If the people who can write and draw have that much over people who just do either one. If you can write and draw and letter, if you can color, if you can design, you know, um, if you are interested in writing stuff outside of comics, games, Consider that stuff. Don't just consider the very narrow, you know, try to wear as many hats as you can because you, you have to make money. Yeah, uh, I, definitely. To have this fun. Yeah, I, I, I always just wanted to pencil. You know, I always wanted Me to. Too. Uh, and I was like scared of inking yep. because it's too hard. Um, and I mean, that's what I tried to do forever. Um, and then it was when, uh, you know, I wasn't getting any work. And it's like, well, I can keep trying to find writers to write something for me, um, and then that always ends up in me drawing things that I don't really want to draw, like cars or uh, buildings. I hate um, people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so I mean, out of necessity, I mean, I I am not a like I, I didn't excel at in at English uh, anything. Uh, in school, but I had to start writing comics out of necessity because um, I figured out that what I really wanted to do was tell stories, um, and you can tell a story without having um, a, a, a you know ability to spell or great vocabulary or uh, so. So my so my comics, I ended up doing everything and learning how to do everything uh, out of necessity because people weren't going to pay me to do one part of it. So I had to learn how to do it myself. And actually, like the the best, I had a job as a graphic designer for three years, and it was a terrible job, and I hated every moment of it. But since having that job, I know how to lay out a book. Uh, I know how to. I, I know a lot about type design, uh, and that has helped me so much in uh, self-publishing, where I basically just do everything myself. And any time that I, I. You know, I, I did a I did a Garfield Kids story for um, for IDW, and I didn't get to letter it, and I didn't get to color it, and I hate it. 
and it's like I have it's to, wrong, right? Uh, it's, it looks it's so good, it looks wrong. Yeah, jeez, and I, it, I just I become so now I'm trying to come down on the other side and, and get less controlling, um, but it just like it out of necessity, and I wanted to make comics, and I wanted to tell stories, and that's what I really had wanted to do, and so I had to learn how to do everything myself. Um, and so now I get calling gigs, uh, and uh, you know, it's it's just it's it's kind of a strange thing to. I had to figure out how to be like a jack of all trades, and that's really my strength is that I can do everything. Like I realized very early on that I was not going to be some badass artist that's going to do a drawing that's going to make everybody you know want to buy a million prints of it, you know, because it's just so awesome. Uh, but I but I know how to put things together, um, and that's that's uh, kind of in my skill and. That's why it's been really good for me because I don't have to rely on a publisher. And I think that so many people that get into comics, they're so desperate to get published that they'll take the crappiest deals imaginable. I know somebody that's doing an entire graphic novel for a big company and they got a $1,000 advance. And it's a 100-page book and they got paid a $1,000. That's, that's so below minimum wage. That's that is disgusting. crazy. That's disgusting. It's crazy. And so, and, and, and I was talking to him. Is it a like, licensed book or an original? No, it's original. It's original. Uh, Did they give rights? Oh, forget it. Yeah. I'll tell you later. And he's right, though. And then, then you compound that with not only do I kick, I just want to get in. Here's the thing. People say, if you want to be a I'm sorry. I'm sorry. How do you, want, you know how to be a cartoonist? Put your comics on the web. Yeah, cartoonists making money off of cartooning. I don't know. Nobody can. That's a whole different thing. But you do not need to be in any company to be a cartoonist. Kickstarter. Yeah. Kickstarter is great. You guys are talking about Kickstarter. What Kickstarter does, you can say this better than I can say because you know I'm more on it. Here is that Kickstarter guarantees your pre-orders. Yeah. Yes. Stores won't do it. So that means you. These everybody on the web loves to support people. We're all very. Yeah, I love that print. Oh, I love that shirt. I love your idea. I love what you're doing. And then you go, you should make that into a print. You should make that into a t-shirt. Okay, here it is. It's a t-shirt. I gotta go, man. I gotta yeah. go. I gotta go. <laughs> I'm going to the movies, but I love what you're doing. Sorry, man. I spent that money on lunch. But if you oh, put that sorry. Kickstarter, if you put that on a Kickstarter, it can fail, but then you get those 200 to 2,000 people who say, yeah, I really love it, to actually pony up and allow you to do it. And then you, you know, but so if, you do Indiegogo or GoFundMe instead, right? Or we do something like we do on Patreon or something like yes. that, because then you get the people who aren't bullshitting you, right? Being nice, yeah. or, or maybe you just have a lot of poor fans. Have, have the two of you tried uh, crowdfunding yet? No, we are we're we're holding off on doing something like that because we've seen too many people really kind of blow all their goodwill because they didn't really think it through. Mm -hmm. We haven't had a project yet that we really felt was right. Sure. And sure. we don't want to, really, that's not something we want to support. Well, right, yeah. you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Brian, actually, we were on a panel a long time ago, and he had, it was a Kickstarter panel, and he had tons of good advice. Like, my Kickstarter was pretty much done for me, so. But yeah, if I it changed my mind forever, as far as I'm concerned. No, honestly, I, I constantly have Ryan on Word Balloon because Honestly, as someone who experiences the the great side of Kickstarter and the tough side, and Jimmy Palmiotti is another person that I talk to about this. Paul Jenkins is another person that I talk to about this. It can be done. I like talking to Ryan because just as he explained his scenario with yeah. Image, not not a name like a Palmiotti or a Paul Jenkins and people like that. It's interesting to hear how you know someone who doesn't have name recognition 
is doing it. What and again, Ryan, what know. Ryan was saying uh, earlier is that this is again just like I was saying how stores still have you still the, the after effects of how stores start or the way that things are ordered. The fact that we only have one distributor that short itself, there's no competition there. Um, it's the same way with the uh, the way that Marvel and DC and everyone broke down how the artwork got done for decades to make it more commercial, faster. So people like of my age, and, and even, you just wanted to be a penciler. You just wanted to be a writer because you—that's how they kind of sold it without even knowing it. Nobody really came up through the right, you know, until the '70s. Very few people wrote, drew, uh, did anything else, and so you just get into that mindset. Well, that's what I, I have to do. One of these things, you, you can do everything. I was I was on this panel uh, like a year ago that was about breaking into comics. Mm -hmm. And everybody was talking about, and the moderator was talking about what you should have in your portfolio to show to editors. And I just, I totally derailed it because uh, I have never been hired for a job uh, by an editor. Every job that I've gotten is because I made comics, um, someone who worked in comics uh, liked what I did, and so then uh, had me fill in for them when they, you know, couldn't do it, or there was some job, and they, then they, you know, said editor hired this person. I have never gone and had an interview portfolio review and gotten hired for anything. Um, and the amount of energy, just collectively, and artwork that has been wasted over the years from aspiring artists doing pencil submissions of five pages of Batman beating up a mugger is like a real shame because that could actually be a real comic yeah. that that someone could be reading right now. Um, in a style that they're probably more comfortable. Right, in a style that they're more comfortable. Because because whenever you're trying to break into comics and you're doing pencil submissions, you're just I just remember constantly like changing the way that I was trying to draw because uh, like what does this editor want to see? What's what's the commercial way for me to do this? Like uh, you know like am I trying to do like Brian Hitch kind of stuff uh, because you know that's popular right now and just like totally getting entirely out of my comfort zone because I, I wanted to get hired and. Um, I think it, I think at the time when I was coming up, and certainly when you guys were uh, trying to break in, it was well, no, it's like a big deal. You know, breaking in is a big deal, and it's like, how do you break in? And and um, you know, like everybody has their own special way, like special like uh, unique story of how they broke in. You know, uh, and but I don't think that that needs to be the case anymore because there is a, a the most direct market of of web comics. Where it's just you and the reader and nobody else involved. That's your portfolio. And exactly, and you you prove that you can do comics by doing comics, and you don't try and find out exactly what this editor wants. They don't um, know they want. Nobody knows what they right, want. Right. Exactly. Well, a lot of, and I, and I will also say this: a lot of editors, the, the worst thing you could do is get a portfolio review from an editor because an editor. In all of my experience with them, they have certain things that they have to say. They have to talk about your use of perspective, your use of anatomy, and then your storytelling. But they're not artists. It's and also not in the books. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Do this, this, and this, and then you look at a book they just edited, and you're like, I think they're in the haunted cave. Right, exactly. <laughs> There's no background, the speed line, right? Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You, can, you, can't do, you can't get away with jerking that stuff off until you get in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, then, then because. Uh, you know, they like working with you and you're fast and you make your deadlines. It doesn't really matter if your comics kind of suck yeah. because it makes the editor's job easier and the book's, you know, got a name character on it and it's going to sell anyways. 
it's 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 a really strange thing. Um, so it's uh, I'm at this weird point where now Marvel and DC want to hire me for things, but I'm not sure I want to do it. Um, and I, I actually I just uh, I'm writing and drawing um, a story from Marvel for a new humor anthology they're putting out called Secret War Two T O O. Um, a hilarious title, I know. Uh, and uh, I get it. Oh, and, I get it. And uh, like a number. And I I threw out the most ridiculous idea I could think of, uh, and they said yes, and I can't believe it. It's very very strange to me that they're letting me do this, and I. Turned in all my breakdowns uh, that involved uh, several people getting optic blasted in the crotch, uh, and they were fine with it. And I was kind of blown away. And I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like there might be kind of a shift this to is, having fun in comics again. Everybody on this panel has their own style of working and their personalities. I mean, really, when you go through the most successful people in a lot of ways, even Rob Liefeld. I'm not, there's something about the way they are, the way they think, the way they present. It's in their work, their philosophy, their, the way they do things, what they're into. Uh, if it's not cookie-cutter stuff, you develop a style in your art and writing that people recognize in the industry, if not at the stores, because they didn't see it. But they will start seeing your stuff, and they know what they're getting, generally. If they, you know, I've never had a job walking in on a job and, and trying to get it. It's always the worst experience, in fact, because you're doing it to this dance. And it always ends up being they wanted, they really wanted Kyle Baker, whatever anybody used to call me up. You know? I literally said once, New York Magazine, New York Magazine calls me up, we got to do the level of the strip. But I ended up working with this fellow later on, on a book, uh, a project, uh, uh, a novel that I illustrated. And he said, um, I said, it really sounds like you want Kyle. They're friends. Why don't you have, eh, we will. Kyle ended up doing it. And that was fine, but you know, it's really hard. But the thing is, you want to make yourself irreplaceable. That doesn't mean that if you, if, if you die, the industry would start crying, like Jack Kirby died. It means that your book cannot really continue. It's not a legacy thing like that. If you die, there's no curse of Pirate Girl. It doesn't look like that, and it never looked like that. Action Girl is over because Sarah decided Action Girl was over. They, we're doing a strip. It's the, what you just said about uh, that is, we're doing something for uh, the Peanuts book. Uh, actually, I, I wrote that. But we do. I right. Uh, I'm doing something for the Peanuts tribute book with a with a company. Oh, uh, sure. And with well, it's it's, it's boom. Yeah. Uh, and and the thing is, I just decided that uh, because of the situation, I would throw them an idea that I didn't think they'd go for. Not to be rude or anything, but like this is what I'd like to work on. I don't want him kicking the football, which is I feel like everyone's going to have him kick the damn football. So I said because of. I had a lot of weird material around in the room. I said, what if I told the series, the, the history of Peanuts, uh, told through the Cthulhu mythos? Because uh, Charlie Brown is a Cthulhu, is a, is a Lovecraft character. He's isolated. He's depressed. He doesn't trust his friends. The world, the world's against him. He can't find adults. He doesn't know where he lives. Uh, he doesn't age, but suddenly the Van Pelts are the same size as him. They're like the Waitleys. They have strength and intelligence, but then they refer to childishness. It's a screwed up place, right? His dog is in clothes. And what is with the doghouse? Why is it like, the, why is the geometry wrong? So as these ideas came to me, I decided, well, this is what I'll do. I'll put all the Chambers, Yellow King, and I'll put all the, you know, crazy stuff. And they were for it. And I was like, this is not going to happen. And then the licenses were for it. And I was like, this is not going to happen. Wow. You know, I'm not saying it's the greatest thing ever, but when you put your stuff out there, you should never guess. You should never for do fortune telling. 
which is something I'm trying to learn. If you if you went in there and said, oh, I think I have to do a Brian Hitch, they've already got Brian Hitch. And they'll throw out the Brian Hitch guys that what they don't need them when the style changes. Uh, later on, Herb Trippy got tossed. All these guys got tossed. Yeah. They were great at that time. Sold great, but they didn't need them anymore because the style changed. If your style is something that, if your work depends on a style, those companies, and they change that stuff, if the image style comes in, or the a manga look or something like that, you'll get tossed off. You have to make yourself somebody that can't get tossed off. You can't get tossed off your own book. Doesn't mean you'll make money, but you can't throw Jeff Smith or the, or the Hernandez brothers uh, off of their books, or, you know. Uh, you can throw them off of the Adventure Time books, they'll get 100 new people the next day. Those are not the people who really make, the people, a lot of the people who even are doing well in the convention right now, they gotta do this when they're 50 and 60 and 70. There's no retirement plan. There's no, you know, Jerry or what? You've got to make your, and he's a talented man. A very talented. But his style fell out. At, or, Absolutely. you know, it doesn't even have to be your style falls out. The new regime comes in and has 12 friends who can do Batman that they want to have do it. Yep. It's a job job, that thing. This is more of an art job. You've got to dance a lot more to survive. And sometimes you won't always survive, but you don't have, you, you don't have to quit. You don't have to do it full time. You just have to do it if you do it for yourself. Nobody can take that stuff away from you. Strips that are on the web can be reprinted in a book if you're that pumped up about having a book. You don't have to be in a store to be a cartoonist. You don't even have to be a, to be a successful, successful cartoonist. Sorry. Anyway, got crazy. There. It's, 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 interesting, yeah, it's interesting you, you mentioned retirement plan because I think that's why a lot of Marvel DC people are going to image. Um, because your trade paperback sales, when you own when you own the property, um, and you keep it in print, uh, you can you can continue and it continues to sell. You can just continue to make money off that for forever, for as long as it stays in print and uh, continues to sell. Uh, which you don't make nearly as much off royalty checks from a Marvel and DC event, you know, even if it was really huge compared to what you can make. Off of trades at Image, but again, it's like a, it's it's that's the long game. Yeah, you um, don't make money until that trade comes out, uh, unless you have an advance. Yeah, you race, your your trade yeah. has to come out, and then you have to have <coughs> sold enough of them to pay for the printing uh, and to pay the fee to Image. Um, so, like uh, my trade came out in February, and I had uh, my six month uh, accrual check uh, was negative that came out after that because I hadn't sold enough, which is, you know, typical, uh, because I hadn't sold enough to pay for the print run yet. But then six months down the line, hopefully I've sold enough that I paid for the print run and I'm gonna get some money in, and then if they printed enough, which is based off of how many stores order, you know, they, they print based on how many get ordered. So if you can get more ordered, then you can do a larger print run and can stay in print for longer, and each book that they print costs less, and I don't know, I'm getting into business stuff. But but basically, the trades, the idea is you, like with God Hates Astronauts, the last five issues I did, I made zero dollars on. Like I was at right at the, I was selling enough that I was right at the break even point for image. So I basically worked for five more months uh, for no money, and I came off of that book like at the brink, you know, of uh, you know being totally bankrupt, you know, having nothing. But I had to do it so I could get the trades in circulation, so that two years from now uh, I'm getting God Hates Astronauts trade checks yeah. every six months. 
so it's it's like and so you you look at some creators. You look at like Rick Remender, right? And he's got all these image series and all these different trays that are floating around out there, and they they continue to um, sell hopefully and stay in print. And then the more you get under your belt, the easier it is to take a risk on a project in the future because you have some money kind of coming in. So that's why a lot of these uh, Marvel DC people will be jumping ship to image because. It's not necessarily a retirement plan, but it is a way to be making money off of work that you did 10 years ago, and its trade is still yeah. uh, selling. These, you get you can also make that money at DC Marvel, but if they decide to let a book fall out of print, yeah, you're done. You know, yeah, yeah, right. I have not made a dime off of World's Funnest uh, since 2000, and they're just reprinting it. And the way things are selling, maybe I won't make a dime again. But I have no control of that. I also that's I don't own that. Visa mm -hmm. uh, Burton didn't make money as a book first coming out of the gate because we were paid in advance, so that a living wage um, to do the book. And once those expenses evened out, the book started. And then you, also you might get foreign rights. Yep. I never got foreign rights on books on the whole because my work, nobody understands my work overseas because they're all filled with Nipsey Russell jokes and crap. <laughs> but it's true, it's true. Beast of Bird is the first thing of mine that we, uh, Jill and I got an Italian edition, uh, Norwegian magazine was running it, uh, uh, Spanish and um, there was some other country we want to bomb or something like that. I think it was but, but the thing is, that money helps you get even up towards what they paid out because, as one editor told me, at Dark Horse, the comics, the, you know, the staple comics are just expensive ads for the books. For the books, right? Absolutely. Right. It yeah. takes a while. But the thing is, if you can get a bunch of books in print and they they do okay, you will have some steady extra money for work you already did. And even then, your 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 hour. I mean, a week and a half to do it. How long do a page? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my last book is uh, fifty-four pages, uh, maybe three years. You are nuts. Wow. That's scary. I mean, if you see his art, you'll yeah. see. Yeah, why. you'll see why. It's exactly. like illuminated stuff. Or so, yeah. so on the opposite end of the, the spectrum, Jeremy, uh, the the book that I'm kickstarting right now is uh, was my reaction to. Uh, having to spend so much time drawing each page, because I have I have a lot of ideas and comics are such a slow, laborious medium, which is fun. And uh, but so the the comic that I'm kickstarting right now is uh, 262 pages, and I spent exactly one hour on each page. So I wrote it and drew it each page in in one hour, and I did no planning ahead of time, did no writing ahead of time. So. So I basically spent 262 hours making a 262-page book. That's like three pages. Right, which is like three pages for Jeremy. That's like and I've got, for me. I mean, the drawings, so to me, uh, all that really matters is you can tell what's going on. Clarity is of the story is all that I really care about. So the drawings aren't great, but you can understand what's going on. I mean, you can tell the great romantic story between a square and a triangle as long as you can like understand and follow along uh, so it, this was just my exercise of I want to get story I have a lot of ideas I have a lot of stories I'm sick and tired of sitting here being like oh I'm gonna do this story later on once I get finished with this comic that I'm drawing you know a, a page a day and it's taking me forever it's so it's just movies. like you feel like you're gonna die and you only have six things that are gonna come out in comics. right exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. I would love for being that's almost literal yeah. <laughs> well, eat right, man. Because... <laughs> <laughs> I want to do that. Eat right. Eat right, Jason. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it comes the credit. Pirates. Are we? Yeah, we're professional pirate jazz. 
Are we doing questions? Do we have any time? I, I'm assuming that, that nobody has you questions. know, we, I asked you guys for questions and we're well over time. Oh, are there any Come up to the microphone, no, sir. Yell the question out. No, because I want to record it for the Oh, I'm going to screw this up then. <laughs> Come up to the microphone. Let's go. Let's go. People, move. Let's go, please. Because I, I, I want to get. I want you to get your questions in. But also, there's another panel coming up in about 20 minutes. So there's please. no pirates. Let's go. I've been asking all all afternoon. So go on, please. Ask your questions. Hey, stop badgering me. Go ahead and talk. Okay. I noticed all four of you have Mr. fans on your left. Talk into the microphone. Can you give us an instance of when your partner actually helped you uh, get through a situation? Who? I noticed all four of you have fans. Oh, I'm just asking for for an instance. I'll try to do this real fast because I know I'm I know I'm a pain in the ass. But uh, (laughs) she's basically saved my life professionally and uh, however else you can do it. I mean, not only does she. Uh, I hate that, you know, I completely, she does all the stuff that I can't do, like, she's rational, uh, she does technical stuff, she's a great editor, she, I mean, she comes up with ideas and writes on her own, but um, she, you know, she understands art, she's an art major and stuff like that, so professionally, we get, we're able to do all the stuff Ryan was talking about, because I can't do a lot of things, I'm afraid of technology and trying stuff, uh, but personally, um, yeah, one day maybe I'll do a comic about it, but uh, no, I mean, I know, after she stabs me to death. But basically, <laughs> we're getting a lot more done. If you see, if you like our, if you like my stuff in the House of Fun and what we do, in the next year, you're gonna see a lot more stuff coming out. A lot of that has to do with a very long process of me becoming a, 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 a more reliable person. And I hope. Well, because it takes me forever to do a page of my page, because, you know what I mean? I don't know. She should ask that. I don't help her in any way. But <laughs> <laughs> she really, you know what I mean? We have a really great kid, and, you know, we have a cat, and I'm not dead. <laughs> <laughs> Sir? Uh, yeah. Um, oh, I think he was asking everybody. Else. Oh, I'm sorry, please, continue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, come on, no. Say no, 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 if you guys are that. Emotionally and financially. Why couldn't I do that? <laughs> I, I think my wife, um, she's completely out of this comics world, and I think that helps me, uh, you know, actually focus on what is actually important in life. Um, and I, and yeah, that, that's like a big thing. It's really weird. I spent most of my uh, adult life trying to date creative people that were interested in comics, and then I ended up marrying someone that uh, doesn't know how to read a comic. Because she likes books instead. DC editor? Yeah. See? And if you ask a question, then you get, uh, you know. Oh, pirate money. Exactly. And then, then, hey, man, I got tons, so if you want some. Sarah, do you want to talk about how I help you in your life? And what medication I give him? Give him this back. You take the trash out. (laughs) Give that to Evan. I put it in every comic. Pirate booty. Pirate. Same? Well, this is the thing, sir. Yeah, I, I am uh, about a year into making comics. I, uh, I have about two and a half issues done. And um, you were right on the money with being a laborious process. It's it's unbelievable. Um, I'm the lowest rung on working on this. I'm the writer, so I have, like, like everyone else is more important than me as far as I consider it because I have to bring everyone together. Um, my question is, where should I, look, where should I go with this? Because, I mean, Patreon, uh, Kickstarter, um, I, I'm not sure where to take this thing, because uh, I have on Comixology, I have two on there. 
Are you on Tumblr with your stuff? I am. I'm on Tumblr. Like how, much, how much of a, uh, sorry guys, because obviously they're the experts, but how many people are looking at your stuff on Tumblr? I have about 500. Okay. On there. That's okay. great. Yeah. That's so great. That's, yeah. That's also, the numbers, I don't know about the computer stuff, they can say, but really, there's a lot less people. If you look at the numbers as people supporting successful stuff, it doesn't have to be tons. They, they used to say with bands and artists, was it the thousand? The, 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 one thousand people. Yeah. I mean, at a smaller stage of the game, if you guys still have day jobs or anything, if you get a percentage of those people to start kicking in, I don't know what form platform would be best for you. They could speak to that, but uh, obviously, you don't want to spend money printing this stuff up and killing yourself. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would dissuade you from printing um, comics. I think the money is better spent paying your your collaborators because they, especially you know. People that are spending a lot of intensive time, um, and when you're when you're doing indie stuff, if you can pay the people that you're working with, that will motivate them to actually work on it. And that's usually that's the hard part with being a writer. Your job is much quicker than everyone else's job, um, and so usually the, the best way is actually to pay people. But like my 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 Kickstarter that uh, is going on now got funded within eight hours, and it was fifteen thousand. And it was about 250 backers was what it took. Um, so, and for 15,000, I can do a print run of uh, 2,500 uh, graphic novels um, uh, and package and ship them to uh, all the backers. That's that's 15,000. That pays me nothing. Um, and so, but the great thing is, is that I, uh, it's the pre-order system. So at the end, uh, like right now, I've sold like 700 books through it. So if I print 2,500, then I, you know, get 1,800 books that I are entirely paid for. Can and you if I'm just diamond, can you try? Uh, I could, but I'll wind up. There's I no, know. there's no real reason for me because I can just go to comic shows and I have like right. my Etsy store, and I, if I sell a book for twenty dollars at the comic show, uh, a comic show, I make twenty dollars. Your profit. Yeah, and I, I lose, I lose a unit, I lose a book, yeah. right, which gets you closer to being sold out. But that's the only thing that you lose in that situation so for you uh, basically what you want to do is I think the, the, the perfect model the easy model is uh, put in a lot of the work at a time do it as a webcomic do your best to spread the word connect with other people that make webcomics and really try and get it out there try and maybe get a little bit of publicity here and there build up your audience over time the successful Kickstarters are the ones that have an audience already. Yes. The non-successful Kickstarters are usually ones that are like, hey, I want to make this 120-page graphic novel about vampires and, and, and uh, werewolves, and, uh, and uh, here's a concept drawing of the main character, uh, and I need $30,000. And it's just like, well, they haven't got anything. I have no idea what that is. Like, I'm on my third Kickstarter now, and my rule on my Kickstarter is get it at least 80% of the way finished before I Kickstarter. You know, because it's like a trust-based system, right? They're trusting you with money ahead of time, and you have to reward their trust by getting them a book uh, in an appropriate time that you say you're going to get them uh, the book. And comics always take longer than anybody ever. Uh, you know, everyone always says it's going to be done then, and people buy all the time because comics, they're a creative process, and you can't really know how long it's actually going to take. Um, and so that, that to me, is like this really, really great model because I'm on my third Kickstarter, I opened my new Kickstarter up an hour early for, and I messaged it only to people that had backed my other Kickstarters. 
And that's how I hit my goal so fast because this is my third one. And the first two I fulfilled within three months of Kickstarter ending. I did everything right. And so I'm building this community of people that uh, like my stuff and like being a part of it because they're getting something out of it. Um, and so many Kickstarters just don't do that. And it's just, uh, you're doing the right thing, you're making your comic, and that's what you need to continue to do. And you need to not rush it. Um, don't sink money into printing it if you don't have to. And uh, use that money to pay um, pay your collaborators instead. Excellent. It's real sexy to have that comic book. It's real unsexy to be poor. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's great to have the object. And you know what? It's the comics on the web. It can always be, if you get up there so people can read it, you can always collect it later. Excellent. So a quick question to me on that. Do I adapt the comic to be more webcomic friendly or just... No, 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 do do what you want to do. Whatever you want to do, you do it. Awesome. If it's people, I mean, I don't read many webcomics. I mean, the stuff that gets really big is like strip based because it's like, hey, I can share this around the office, blah, blah, blah. And then then now that person made their ads on on their site. But if you, if, you, if you really want to do a long-form thing, do the long-form thing. Um, you know, format-wise, if you want to print it as a book eventually, make the comic the size that you want it to be for, for print. Um, and, 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 you know, like doing a, doing a strip like this isn't necessarily what you want to do, then don't do that. Awesome. Cool. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Chip. We'll take 10% of whatever you Yeah. <laughs> sure. Thank you. My pleasure. Uh, really enjoying the panel so far. Um, I uh, wanted to ask, I'm about nine months into my own graphic novel, um, and uh, I find that the biggest obstacle for me in terms of working on it is my day job. <laughs> yeah, um, sure. <laughs> it's a really horrible job. But uh, uh, at what point do you consider making that jump from you know, walking away from a full-time salary into creating comics for a living, I, I mean, is there a point at which you realize, hey, I made it, I could make it, I could, I could do this and make enough money to live? Um, do you ever get to that The point, point I did it was when I got enough money to be able to make it to live. I mean, I, like I said, I, 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 I washed dishes, worked in comic stores, and worked in a club, you know, cleaning up till late morning. And uh, you, you, you're terrified. If it doesn't seem right, don't do that. If you hate that day job, try to find a better day job or an easier day job. Uh, but the thing is, I didn't go full time until I started in '86. I didn't go full time in '91 only because I lucked out and got uh, the Bill and Ted job from Marvel and a Predator job from uh, drawing from uh, Dark Horse. Dark Horse. But the thing is, that was a whole different industry, smaller industry, and I met people going to conventions. And whatnot. And there are just too many people doing comics right now. There are too many people doing. It's, it's crazy right now. But you know, you got DeviantArt, Dart. You got you got everybody has a Tumblr. There's this hundreds. Yeah, comics are not going to die <laughs> like they thought. That's the thing. Um, but don't do. I wouldn't do anything damaging to your uh, to your financial health unless you are young, alone, no kids, don't feel like talking to people. Um, because all the time that goes into that comic goes into making no money. But if you start getting work or start getting some sort of recognition or you do a Patreon or you do something like that, that might free you up to take less hours. It's like anything else. I mean, what are the pros and cons? And, uh, you know, live somewhere. Don't live in Brooklyn. (laughs) That would be my two cents. What do you guys do? Yeah, I I mean, this is, my life is decently scary. 
in terms of uh, where is the money going to come from, and especially when the project ends uh, and you've got to go to the next thing. I only got to be full time because I got laid off and I could file for unemployment. And while I did that, I got illustration jobs uh, and I worked every single day like comics was my full time job while, while making barely enough money to, to, to be alive on, on unemployment and small illustration jobs. Um, yeah, it's really a tough, tough thing. I, I mean, I also, I intentionally got jobs where I could draw while I was at work. Like I worked at a comic book store, uh, you know, and when you work on Monday, no one would come in and you wouldn't have any books to shelve and I would just draw all day there. So I did that. I mean, everybody has this problem. And then there's, there's people like, uh, like uh, Brian Level, who uh, is a friend of mine and he just did an image book, his first image book called The Mantle, and he's still working as a full-time tattoo artist. And he is absolutely coming home from work, drawing, uh, stopping for dinner, see his family, and then he wakes up at four in the morning and he draws before work. And it's, it's, it's a crazy man's game, you know? Um, so, I mean... That doesn't make you any less of a cartoonist. Of course, I mean, yeah. We absolutely, have, yeah. Nobody should look down on anybody because you're doing it. But we, but we act that way. We, the way we treat artists and musicians is if they're not making their full income on it, they're bums. Once they are making their full income on it, we will give them our children, our houses, uh, you know, treat them like gods. But other than that, you're a bum asking for money. Yeah. Uh, unless we convince you, convince them that you're worth the dollars, then they act like idiots. But it, you're it, you're no less a cartoonist. I mean, if if you can monetize things for me, monetizing things in a in a in a truly direct way to your fans. Um, and so when I was doing God Hates Astronauts as a webcomic, I was doing comic shows and I was selling um, uh, t-shirts that were cost like $5 to print. I could sell them for 20 and I would I would get shot glasses. I had shot glasses made with like the logo on it and those sold crazy and they were like 75 cents a piece to produce and I could sell them for $5. And so I would just have little things like that that because I'm not, I'm not worrying about I can make the money very directly with people. Um, and so I started doing doing little things like that that really start to add up. Um, and you can start saving money and um, you know, get a, getting a sense if, if you really can do this and make money doing it. The whole thing, the whole panel, the whole convention can be done on, on finances and business. It's something I don't understand. That's another thing with Sarah saving. But understanding how much money you need, where money is coming from, how to budget, how to be sensible, uh, you know, don't buy all the pops on that on, the, on that shelf, you know. Yeah. Uh, but that's the thing. It, nobody talks about business. The colleges that are teaching comics are not. They, you know, their business. Is to sell, uh, but we're not getting business. We're not getting insurance. People learning how to take good care of themselves. But I mean, if you're young and you want to be poor, keep doing the comics. And if you're going to put them online, you can always try a Patreon. Or I mean, I, yes. that's not that's not going to do it. But you can always see if, you know, also find out, does anybody care? It's a sucky thing that nobody wants to talk about, but maybe we all stink. Yeah. I, you know what I mean? I mean, maybe we're all great, maybe we're all stink, but there's only so many slots and only so many eyeballs and only so many dollars, especially in a, a, a culture where everybody wants everything for free and they can slap it on their website and make a shirt out of it. So, yeah, be careful. Two quick things. Uh, one, Kara Moore is going to have a panel tomorrow about marketing. And I think you should attend it. And secondly, regarding Patreon, with my podcast, Word Balloon has a Patreon account. 
Um, Don't show for money. Why? I'm going to point out the reality that under 10% of my audience supports me through Patreon. Right. It's a nice supplemental income. I would love to do this full time. I work, I work in radio. That is my day job, and I'm fortunate to have that. That's the voice. But, but there, but yeah. But I was like, no, you got a good. Yeah. yeah I don't oh, there you go. Awesome. So I got buddies that work at the Fan and a few other New York stations. But uh, I'm in Chicago. But I mean, that's the thing, man. I mean, honestly, we all, and that's where I find this kinship with these creators, whether they want to agree and acknowledge it or not. But truly, that we're all trying to struggle to make our things and live off them. It is tough. So don't give yeah. up, but you also have to really look at this from a real standpoint. And the that's other, why the other way you can at it is if you can't do that, you can't be Gene Shepherd where you run your own show and you do whatever the hell you want. Amen. And you know you can move. If the, if the boss is a jerk fires you, or you want to be doing your comments full time, think of the comments as a respite from the job you hate. Also, yep. think about it that way. Amen. Uh, because that's that's where you are your own person, and that's where you basically. F the world, um, I'm going to make my comics tonight, and even if I have 100 people reading them, that's more than most people have checking out their stuff. And that was right, because I mean, literally, I was doing sports talk radio, got fired from that job. I currently make commercials in radio, certainly not what I want to be doing in broadcasting. And yeah, that's my F you to the big bosses and stuff. I do my podcast, and I've had the Discovery Channel came to me and asked me to be a talking head on a television show because of my podcast that's, and, and yeah. shit like that. That's your that, Exactly. And it's like, you know, hey, did you hear what happened to Suntress? This happened. And it's my former sports talk friends. And they're still my friends. But, you know, the manager's like, really? That happened to The internet yeah, allows you to get out there. Look, absolutely. Mark, Mark Maron, the guy who does the, I don't listen to his podcast, but I'm aware of it. As a New Yorker, I, I knew he was always in the Village Voice doing stand-up. And he looked, it was like one of those guys, whatever happened to him? Boom. He yeah. Tried a different and he was a witch. in front of people. He literally yeah. even said he was thinking about so, killing himself and stuff before. Well, don't he do that. Well, exactly. <laughs> no, but I'm, you know, yeah, but still, like, truly, it's someone who's at wit's end and is ready to give up and found this other way to do his thing and has become a much bigger success than he was. Even if you're a murderer, even if your day job is a murderer, yeah, don't do, do not kill yourself. No, no. No, no. Stop no. doing that. Stop take murdering a, Take a chip for grace. Good Lord. Have a cookie. For God's sake. Miss. Uh, um, I only heard about Dolly Hayes today, but uh, so I don't know if all of you do very much in the web. But I was wondering about audience building for web comics, um, like what all goes into it. Like you mentioned, uh, networking with other web comic artists and how that can help. It. Like what would be like the main thing? Um, for me. The main way that it got around was um, other creators, um, connecting with other creators, um, you know, being social, uh, going to shows and talking talking to people um, definitely helped me a lot. Um, you know, I was I was lucky enough that my my stuff my stuff is very uh, cultish in terms of it's not for everyone, but the people that like it seem to really like it, and that helped me a lot with people wanting to share it. Uh, so I got kind of lucky in, in that way. Um, I think there's also something to be said about being very um, personal uh, with people, because if people, instead of overwhelming to strangers with, will you share this webcomic with all of your fan base, which happens to me all the time. I think it happens to most creators. We get that all the time. But if you can make a connection with them and talk to them as people and get to know 
uh, other creators, I think that that's a really good way to have the word spread about what, what you're doing. Um, you know, and a lot of it comes down to if it's good or not, honestly, because if it's not very good, it's going to be hard. People aren't going to want to share it as much. Um, so yeah, I mean, and then I know that there are like collectives of web comics that all like have links to each other, and uh, but yeah, a lot of it's just being social, um, and and uh, if people like you, they're going to want to help you out. Aren't you? Thank you very much. My pleasure. And you know, as I said, those trips turn them in and you get a raffle ticket uh, for tonight at 6 o'clock. Miss? Um, as far as education background, what have you guys found be, as being really helpful to help you kind of get your start? Um, um, what would you review as far as... Like formal? Like yeah. Trade. Informal, formal yeah. or informal? Um, would you recommend? I watch TV for twenty years. <laughs> <laughs> I watch a lot of movies. Yeah, that's movies. I'm always just making movies in my head with my comics. Um, for me, a formative thing was uh, I, I took uh, one one semester course in an independent study with David Mazzucchelli, uh in college, and he. <laughs> Preaches storytelling, and up until that point, I never really, um, I mean, I considered it, but um, you know, drawing was what I loved to do, and now, and he was the one that really like inflamed my imagination to the, the power of, of sequential illustrations and storytelling. Uh, so for me, that's that's like the most formative bit of education I got was uh, learning about communication through through comics and manipulation of your audience and. Uh, through what you draw, uh, which is really one of the, the joys of, that's what makes comics comics. That's why I wanted to be a comic book artist and not an illustrator anymore. Um, yeah, so does that answer? Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot more people sharing stories and ideas on the, on the, on the web these days, on their blogs and things like that. I think you can learn more from looking at people's process videos, from conversations that they have, and things like that. Thank you. I mean, did you go to RISD or is SBA? Yeah, RISD. Yeah, you see, like, I, I, I'm working with somebody right now in developing a project, and I didn't, I, we met them at a convention, and uh, apparently I did a talk at her SBA class for Joey Cavalier's storytelling class at Foldable Gas School. Uh, <laughs> uh, and what she said was, like, sort of helpful, because the thing is, I'm not knocking the schools. I, I, went, to this, I went to CCS to do a, a, a speech there, uh, and I loved the place. The energy was great, but. And the knowledge, the thing there, I mean, Sturm and all those things are doing beautiful work. That is a lot of money. I mean, talk about not putting your stuff into print because mm -hmm. that can eat you alive from the bottom up. But to spend thousands, and th I don't even know how much it is that I spend. Uh, I wanted to go because I thought that would be great, but my mother was like, you take a, take a test, if they say you can get a scholarship, that means you're talented. So I failed. You know, I'm not talented, so I read the comics. But, uh, that's a lot of money to sink, and it's great to, to, to connect with people and see what they're doing, but smaller workshops, maybe start getting developed and stuff. I mean, I didn't go to school. I, went, I took one screenwriting class, two screenwriting classes, and, and one or two anatomy classes while I was in NYU. I wanted to be a film animator, uh, and then I realized I, it's insane. That's the most insane thing. One of the, except for you know, doing physical 3D animation. I realized I like telling stories. Uh, stories, stories came. And in the back of my screenwriting classes and all those things, uh, which was the best class I took, I was drawing comics again. 
And the idea that you take this flat piece of paper or this screen and you make marks on it, and the next thing you know, people are believing, and you're believing that things are happening, yeah. is even more amazing than film to me, and in some ways even more amazing than a novel. Um, there's more information on the web out right now that almost any school can give you. What they can do is uh, tell you what they think also. And I mean, what are you what are you thinking of doing or not, what feeling that you have? I'm done? just asking for a more. I, I am not an artist okay. by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> I am lucky if I can make a stick figure. Right. There's a guy who's making a lot of money doing stick figure yeah. comics right now. Um, I'm not even really a creative person. My fiance is uh, looking to get into comic books right. and he's really talented and I'm trying to find different ways I can do to help support him, get him access to even just a wide variety of things so he can see different perspectives from different artists. Yeah, I, the more the, the more important moments of me developing my career uh, in terms of my abilities we're getting portfolio reviews from other artists. Um, if you are personable and not a weirdo, uh, there are a lot of artists that will look at your, your work and will, will talk to you about it. And those are so much more um, uh, like packed with useful information than, than talking to an editor about uh, like what I need to get better at. Um, or my, I add politely, the girlfriend, mother, father, husband, boyfriend, they love you, and their opinions are sometimes off. Yeah. Sometimes you have to get a, bad, a negative opinion. Uh, Don't be not afraid of negative opinion. Yeah. yeah when I first, that's what he needs. When I first started of working of with uh, the guys from Instant Piano, Kyle Baker and Stephen DiStefano, some of the two born natural cartoonists were very successful. They're the first people who told me a lot of things I was doing completely wrong that were fundamentally wrong, just because you don't know until somebody points it out, if you're in a bubble especially, even if you look at web, but they were, like I said, this information is out there if you have, uh, you know, you can help steer them towards that, but you, I mean, is he sitting here somewhere? Yes. The, so, you know, that, that's what, that could be part of the problem, that's what I was wondering. Um, I, I never had a portfolio because I was afraid of meeting editors, not because I thought it was so great. It can be done even if you do not like talking to people, even if you have trouble, but at some point, you're gonna to have to talk to you and other human beings. Some of them might be jerks, but you will find good people to be around that you can trust to say, you can't put all this detail in the front on this figure because it collides with the, but that's what I was doing for five years. And the person who told this to me, told it to me in a really nasty way, and it helped me, it still helps me to this day. Find Brian Stillfries. Brian Stillfries uh, gave me two of the best critiques that I have ever had in terms of uh, just learning, like really condensed learning. And he's a teacher, uh, as well as a comic artist, and he does a lot of shows, and he he can communicate very, very effectively without uh, making you want to cry, but also helping you get better because he'll be able to point out um, your, your flaws and things you need to work on. And it's good to look at stuff even if you're not a fan of it because you can find stuff that they're doing that applies to all art. You know, you might, I hate going into Hot Topic, but I found my favorite jacket in the back of Hot Topic. Hilarious. So that's why you, have, you can, if you look at Archie, look at DC, look at painting, and you don't, don't just look at the art you love, or the writing you love, because you will just be spinning that out. But sometimes you'll, an artist that you hate, you read an interview with them in a magazine or online, they go, oh yeah, I just take a toothbrush and I spray ink all over the place, and that's how I get the splatter. I go, holy crap, that works. 
And that's how you learn things. Like, you know, same thing. Pull your pen, turn it around, flip the pit pen. You know, people, you know, get on Twitter, follow a lot of artists who like to do that sort of thing. Look at their artwork. Look at original artwork at the conventions. I don't think there's a main deal here. That's an eye-opening experience. Look at how everybody fixes their pages just to see the physical object and demystify it. I'm really glad that the last few people came up and talked because I really think that a lot of really good information came out, which is what I was hoping for. And that's the thing, you need to be brave and ask questions, and especially take advantage of when these people show up and present themselves at a panel like this. So really, we do have to wrap up because the, the Fables panel is next. But I thank you for your interest and your patience and uh, your attention. Thank you very much. There you go. I hope you enjoyed uh, the coverage of uh, Sensi Comic Con so far on Word Balloon. I've got a lot more to go. We had some excellent panels, all-star panels, excellent information, and I can't wait to share it with you. In fact, it's not just going to be seven days till the next Word Balloon. We're going to get this stuff out as um, quickly as I can, uh, and along with some other interviews that I've been doing since. Uh, that's the good and bad problem that we have with uh, this kind of thing. I got uh, over eight hours of uh, coverage of Sensi Comic Con. But in, in the meantime, more comic news is happening as we speak. Other guests that are popping up on the phone or on Skype. So I'm going to balance it. And I think in the next few word balloons, you might hear more pure Cincy Comic Con panels. You also will hear an occasional uh, interview, uh, either Skype or uh, phone, and then uh, a few more panels as well. But that just means more great conversation for you in the word balloon tradition. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Uh, questions or comments about the show, feel free to reach me via email, john at wordballoon.com. Uh, you can also uh, tweet me at Twitter, at uh, John Word Balloon is my Twitter handle. And you can follow me at Facebook under my name, John Suntress, and at the Word Balloon Network. Uh, do me a favor if you like the show or even if you don't like the show, leave me re a review at iTunes. Rate the show as well. Um, iTunes cut off my old feed. And that happened a couple months ago, and I lost about 100 reviews. So it would be great to get uh, your uh, two cents on what you like and what you don't like about Word Balloon. It could be positive or negative. It's okay. I'm a big boy. I can handle it. But uh, any uh, feedback at iTunes would be greatly appreciated. And if you think of it, too, subscribe to Word Balloon because um, that way you won't miss an episode. And, uh, you know, if you don't have to listen to every show, but if you subscribe, that, that helps me out as well. So uh, thanks a lot for listening to this episode of Word Balloon, which was brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you all for your support. As I always say, the best way you can support Word Balloon is let a friend know that you like the show. You think they might like it, too. But uh, anything you can do in uh, terms of uh, subscriptions, if you want to go to patreon.com slash wordballoon and subscribe to the show, if you could spare a buck or two a month, I really would appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Great deals are happening at InStock Trades. Uh, you can save on select Marvel, Soleil, and famous author titles up to 70% off. You can also uh, take advantage of a huge sale on clearance titles up to 70% off. Select Boom titles are going at 70% off. And DC and Image titles, all of them, a huge 45% off at InStockTrades.com. But that's not all. You can also get uh, the Wolfman Perez collection of the new team titans volume three 45 percent off it's just ten dollars and 99 cents you can get uh, some great pulp adventure from the black bat black bat was created around the same time as batman and it really isn't clear which came first if it was the black bat or batman there are a lot of similarities to these stories well you can read the original pulp adventures of the black bat uh in a double novel called the brand of the black bat 
25% off. It's just $11.21. From Valiant, you can get uh, the Archer and Armstrong trade paperback, Volume 7, 1% and Other Tales, 30% off. It's just $10.49. You can get Swamp Thing by Scott Snyder. Man, what a great run on Swamp Thing. Whenever you think everything is said and done on a character, you'll get the right creator on the right book, and magic happens. We all know about how great uh, Scott Snyder was on Batman and has been and continues to be with Greg Capullo. But have you read his Swamp Thing? Well, check it out because uh, this great collection is 50% off, $24.99. I mentioned George Perez. You can go back and enjoy his classic Wonder Woman run from the 80s. God, I can't believe it's 30 years since George Perez was doing Wonder Woman. 45% off. It's just $41.25. Where? At InStockTrades.com. Check out these great deals for you there. Waiting now at InStockTrades.com. John Suntra saying thanks again for listening to Word Balloon. Thank you, as always, for your continued support and attention. I mean it when I say it, both at panels and right now while you're listening to this podcast. Great conversation is coming up in just a few more days. So, uh, And also kick back and enjoy the Word Balloon archive at wordballoon.com. Reach back all the way to uh, 2006, the occasional 2005 episode. I started uh, the current uh, wordballoon.com website about uh, 15 months after I had started Word Balloon, and that's why the feed there ends at 2006. And over time, I've been bringing back some of those original 2005 interviews. Some of them, you know, it was pretty rough. I mean, it, like you see on the illustration of me, I've got the juice can to my head. That's kind of the technology I was dealing with when I first started podcasting. Things have improved since then. But uh, I hope you'll uh, reach back and enjoy the archive because there's always great conversation there. And it's fun to reflect back and even listen back to uh, people like you heard today, like a Rick Remender or a Tony Moore and uh, the various conversations I've had with them over the years. And uh, compare uh, their thoughts today to what they were thinking years ago. So uh, take advantage of all that. Wordballoon.com is the place to find it. And uh, thanks for listening. And I look forward to talking to you in just a few days with another new edition of Word Balloon. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2015.